0: And welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad and I am joined by Alex. Alex, shut the fuck up. Okay, let's go ahead and start going with this top 10. I'm sad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've just been like wind knocked out of my sails, you know, like <laughs> I was ready to, to do like my signature hello after your like whole spiel and I'm just there like, hi. And I, I didn't even get to do that. I was just. You put the
0: finger up, like I'm like, ah, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, uh oh. Uh
1: oh. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we are late as fuck. Um, if this was a relationship, Alex, you'd be pregnant right now uh, with how late <laughs> we are with this top 10. And that's pretty unfortunate. But, the cool thing is with the timing of this is we do have the first weekend of results when it comes to like the new cards and stuff like that. So we can kind of take a little bit of a look and a peek well, here, there. And we
1: were um, delayed for a good reason. We were actually yes. scheduled to record this a week ago, but then you got an email and for well, you, you could explain it. Yeah.
0: So, uh, by now, by the time this episode goes live, uh, it should already be out. It comes out tomorrow night. Um, at time of recording, it is what this is Monday, and uh, yeah, so I've actually been emailing back and forth for over a year now with Saffron Olive of MTG Goldfish, um, basically discussing a whole bunch of things, and um, finally got around to uh being featured on a, a Goldfish video for their top 10 pioneer uh cards from uh, Neon Dynasty. So that'll be out, that are that should be out by now, and everyone should have
1: hopefully seen it i am only and, uh, a little jealous only a little bit you know
2: it's i was okay. just
1: i was just at the beach i was i was so i had a good time i was out with my girlfriend we're at the beach we're having some chips and i was like looking at my phone it's like brad's recording a video with seth right now i have some chips these are nice <laughs> <laughs> the weather's weather i mean i didn't even want to say the weather is good because the weather sucked because it was fucking cold <laughs>
0: Oh, that sucks. Like going to the beach when it's kind of cold is like, I understand being in Florida a few weeks ago, I went to the beach and I was like, just thought it'd be nice to kind of lay out or whatever. And it was, it was nice and warm in the sense of it, the sun being out and it was probably like, you know, around 80 degrees, but I tried going on the water and the water was like 70 degrees. And it doesn't sound like it's that cold, but when you yourself are 98 degrees, that's fucking cold. Oh yeah, yeah. i i I put a foot in i was like "Ah!"
1: no we we went we went for the beach for a for a really silly slash funny reason uh so my my girlfriend's gluten intolerant and in the netherlands we have a snack and we call it a croquette which is something you throw in the deep fat fryer and
0: we do that with everything here yeah
1: yeah we oh we have a wide selection in the netherlands like we we don't really have cuisine aside from shit we throw in the deep fat fryer which sounds very american it's like um, or we stole it from abroad because you know colonial history we, and stuff. We
0: did the same thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. look at where I live. Everything's stolen.
1: <laughs> there's literally no authentic thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> um But this, there's this one snack bar near the beach, uh, and she's by the. She's also allergic for coriander, which is or cilantro, as you guys call it which is very hard to like find in food because it almost always has herbs and spices and then you don't know which there actually are so this place (laughs) has gluten-free croquette that we know has no coriander in it's a day before her birthday and she was just like i've been craving these fucking things for like two years we're going to the beach like sure (laughs) we didn't even really go for the beach because we tried to go for a walk and after 15 minutes, we're like, I'm freezing. I'm also freezing. We're going back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you have these deep fried goodies to keep you warm. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, um, the video was super fun. Um, I had a blast doing it. Uh, don't worry, Alex, you will get your chance in the future to do something with Seth. Um, we won't get into it too much, but this will not be the last time that you guys see any kind of collaboration uh, between us and uh, and Seth himself. So, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be um, the gateway drug, uh, I guess, so to speak, to this.
1: Uh... I mean, and it's 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 not like, because we did, and this is why we're going to, we're not going to do our top 10 like we do traditionally. We're going to spend a little less time on it because uh, I sent you my top 10 in advance and I was still kind of working on it because we had longer and some more information was coming in. So I like discard. I want different, blah, blah, blah. So I sent you my top Like tentative top ten, and you use that sort of sort of craft a combined top ten, yep, um, for us. So there's, if we would do our top ten now, we would literally. I looked up, we would be two cards different, and then some placements. So it actually wouldn't even be the most interesting top ten. So instead,
0: (laughs) it would just be us being like, yep, that card's cool. (laughs) You know what? You're right. That is a cool card. Yeah, because okay we talked about this in the video and I was like, Seth, did you fucking expect, I didn't say fuck cause I'm on a goldfish video, but did you expect neon dynasty to be the, uh, the artifact set? He's like, no. And I talked about this with you too. Cause I was like, we, we expected the brothers war and the other Dominaria said this later this year to be like the artifact sets to come out and neon dynasty is like, hold my beer. <laughs> Look at all these fucking vehicles. Look at all these reconfigure equipments that are kind of, bad
1: but (laughs) i've heard a rabbit one people seem very excited about that one Uh, the rabbit battery
0: the rabbit battery is a cool one um there's the the one drop that you can pay three to sacrifice it to do something but when it leaves the battlefield it's like a light at the stage kind of thing
1: does that even reconfigure i think that's just a one red artifact that's
0: that's just an artifact in general and then it becomes
1: Um, a two and then you any, you get a two two token
0: yeah, and that one's really cool. I saw that one kind of show up in some blood decks um and then there's that that one spell we got in like the the common dump that's like, "Hey, this is a a two a one mana, you know, red shock, but if you sacrifice an artifact, it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker." And I'm like, ah, that seems so cool for blood."
1: Oh and no. Uh, I I got shrapnel Blasted yesterday against a blood deck and I'm like, "No, no, no. This is what you're supposed to be doing with your bloods." <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that was Yeah. Holy shit um we might that was in the league we'll probably like in a w- couple weeks we could talk about like a sort of league wrap-up and i could talk a little bit about that but that being said so what we're going to do is brad's going to go i haven't actually been able to see the video obviously so i don't know exactly what brad said either so we're gonna quickly run down brad's well our combined top 10 um kind of get like brad's inside he'll throw it back to me a couple times to, like, see how we sort of got this top 10 together. Then we'll probably discuss, uh, at least I'll bring up the two cards that I had different uh, and kind of, like, touch on those briefly, sort of get my insights. And then we might talk a little bit about, like, placements we had differently because Brad and I did have our usual exchanges in all caps about Brad's list. And then we could go and
0: yeah, I had a really good justification, though, for my reasoning. And when I brought, I even brought that exact thing up to Seth before we started recording. I was like, OK, Alex is saying this. What do you think? And he's like, well, considering we've had these particular cards at number one for like our last three lists, a little change of pace seems nice. And I'm like, I'm in favor of change of pace.
1: <laughs> that means and, I'm right. I win. And well, uh, I actually had a thought about that because I was thinking like, you know, this has Brad lost his mind with I will talk about it in a little bit. And then I realized, like, no, the difference here is just kind of math and ev- sort of the evaluation process, because mm-hmm. I think we probably value the cards the same, but yeah. I put it in a different place because I evaluate as a whole differently. But anyway, we'll go into that. So how about we just get started and you work our way through this list uh, that we got? Yeah. Um,
0: and again, this is the list that I use for the goldfish video um, and. uh yeah, so like Alex said, he gave me his list. I went through it, and I was like, "Wow, all these are the same as mine for the most part." And I was like, "But there's two cards I'm going to swap out." And being the kind soul that I am, not wanting to you know step on any toes or anything like that, I was like, "I will put the two cards that I I replace for Alex at ten and nine. <laughs> just put them at the back. Yeah, put them, at the put them in the back. Like
1: they're in. They're in. But um... yeah.
0: Um, but I mean these cards. Thinking about it, they could be higher up. Um, in hindsight, I think I might swap them around, but it, it, regardless. Number 10 starts with a Patchwork Automaton, uh, which is the two-mana, one-one artifact uh, creature construct that has ward two, and every time you play an artifact or cast an artifact, it's like uh, it grows. Gets a plus and plus one counter.
1: It's just and ginger think... brutes without the ones per turn restriction. Uh, ginger yeah, brute, not like f- uh, ingenious smith but without the once yeah, per turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I was going to say, thank God it doesn't have that once per turn restriction because uh, you want this card to get out of control. And I, I yeah, I, I was looking at this card and it started growing on me more and more and more as we're kind of going over um, all the cards from Neon Dynasty. And the thing that was really setting it apart for me was the, uh, the Ward. And Ward is so easy to kind of gloss over and be like, it's just whatever. It's just not as good as Hexproof and all that good stuff. But, Looking at cards like you know, Grave uh, Grave Trespasser or whatever the the, the werewolf in black, um, that's Ward discard card. But we're seeing how powerful Ward can be by just being enough to two for one or slow down your opponent. Because if this is just a two mana one one that grows, and they're like, yeah, I'll push that. That kind of sucks. But keeping them off of fatal push on curve kind of thing just right in response like they're at one open mana or if they have just two of mana and they can't pay for that ward cost that gives you time to start growing this guy and kind of let it snowball and get out of control and at least set up your board in other ways where they now have to choose between dealing with this card and then other threats you have in the deck built around it
1: yeah i think like the the the, the awesome thing about ward and that's why it's i think it's it's a very powerful keyword and we're going to see it more often it's going to end up on some very powerful cards. Um, if you have a, like on this card, if you have a ward cost that is equal or higher than the converted mana cost of the card, bar sweepers, you will always net tempo with these cards. Because one mana removal spells become three mana removal spells, which means your opponent has now used more mana. And in the type of deck where that runs path, uh, Patchwork Automaton, tempo is everything your opponent stumbles once, that could just cost them the game. And this card is basically a forced stumble. So if you force your opponent to stumble when you're playing a deck that kills people when they stumble, awesome card.
0: Yeah. And you can have like things like Springleaf Drum in the deck, uh, Ornithopter, um, and just be like, okay, Ornithopter for free, Springleaf Drum, Springleaf Drum, tap Ornithopter to play another artifact, maybe play a portable or like clear the way for it, clear the blocker, that kind of thing. Um, so, th- again, this card can get out of control and it just has a really cool shell to kind of like go into. Um, my ideal home for it, even though it's probably not the best home for it, uh, I-, I really want to try it in like a Selesnia Scales deck, but more leaning into the artifact synergy of like Steel Overseer and stuff like that. Because um, I just really like that type of uh, game plan. And we haven't seen scales ever since Ballista got banned, because, I mean, you know, it's Ballista. That, that's like the best card in the deck. It can be your giant beat stick, but it also be a walking removal. Um, this doesn't have the removal aspect of uh, walking Ballista, of course, but at least you have another threat in which you're forcing your opponent to be like, yeah, do you want to deal with this, or do you want to just, you know, try and deal with the other pieces built around it, like I was saying earlier. So I'm pretty high in this card. And then um, the next one, though, number nine, Alex, you do not care for in the slightest. where we have some differences here. It's Oni Colt Anvil, which is an artifact that is black-red, so two mana uh, for an artifact in Rakdos. And it says, once per turn, on your turn, whenever an artifact leaves the battlefield... You create a one-one artifact creature token uh, construct, and it also has tap. I think uh, it's like it drains your opponent for one or two. I believe to sacrifice it.
2: Um. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah. The ability tap second artifact. It deals one damage to each opponent. You gain one life. Which interesting enough could be itself. Yes. Which is the best thing you can be doing with this card because you want to get rid of it immediately.
0: No, that that's a little rude. So uh, what I was thinking in the video was like this card on paper, when you and I both looked at it a couple weeks ago when it got spoiled, we're, we're both kind of in agreement going like, yeah, it feels kind of restrictive. feels kind of bad. And the more and more I thought about it, even with those restrictions, even with it being only on your turn and only once per turn, it slots so nicely into a junk food deck to have extra fodder to kind of, you know, sacrifice things. Um, Everything that you want to sacrifice in that deck is our artifact tokens. So like treasures, foods from like Gilded Goose, Um, you have uh, Innkeeper that comes in. Um, You have other synergies that you want to sacrifice stuff with obviously Mayhem Devil, of course, but then you have things like... Deadly Dispute to make a treasure and like you usually sacrifice one of your other treasures or your food to draw your cards. You have corvult that comes in and immediately wants to sacrifice something and typically if you have a food available, you want to sacrifice the food. You have Cauldron Familiar which sacrifices foods to come back into the battlefield. Um, you have other synergies and ideas that you want to sacrifice food to start turning on your trail of crumbs, that kind of thing. And this allows you to gain back a body that can be enough to sacrifice more stuff later on. And again, even though there's that restriction, I agree that that restriction is super harsh. And if it didn't have that restriction at all, this card would be fucking busted. Yep. Um, So I understand why it has it. But even with it, so many times in my playing both with and against that Jun food deck, there are times you just kind of awkwardly run out of steam with like things to sacrifice, which can be really weird. This helps maintain that a little bit more and kind of keep up with the things that you want to sacrifice. And another thing is, let's say you sacrifice the, one of the one ones that this thing made, like in a previous turn, it does bring another one back, like it replaces itself. And of course, you can sacrifice this as well. Um, and that, that's not even considering an idea of like maybe this can go into like a blood token deck um, with like even like Modokai Soul Ripper. Um, as a thing that can kind of like, you know, continually sacrifice things and and uh, make a make a 1-1, one, one. that's another artifact, that you can sacrifice to Motokai Soul Ripper once per turn. Um so this thing has so many synergies and ways that it can play around uh with, with stuff and has these different decks that can kind of slot into um that I think it's good enough to see play, uh, even with the restrictions.
1: Yeah, I think my gripe with this deck if I'm so I don't have a lot of experience playing. The Sacrifice deck, I'll, I'll give you that. But to me, it, it feels like this is a very weak attempt at having the Cat and the Oven in one card. Because this kind of looks like, yeah, if I just, on my turn, I sack the Construct, and then I get the Construct back, and I've drained my opponent for one. This is basically the Cat. Uh, problem I have is, first of all, it involves one Sacrifice rather than two, so you get half the Mayhem Devil triggers. This stuff doesn't trigger your trail of crumbs. And you also can't um, do this like in your opponent's turn. So the classic thing Cat Oven keeps doing, block your creature with a cat, then sacrifice it before damage. And I think that's like a really powerful aspect of Cat Oven that this card just doesn't do. So I think you're very often going to have this card on the battlefield And then you're already, like, sacking a food, getting your 1-1. And then you're kind of like, oh, tap, drain one. And I just feel like that is, like, super slow and dirtly, even though the sacrifice decks can actually be pretty fast decks. Like, they they can grind you out, but they can also have, like, these mayhem devil draws, and you're just, like, basically dead on turn four. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea that this gives you some, like, sort of fodder to work with later on in the game. But I don't know if that's the thing I want to be focused on when I play this deck. Like, I think if I want this deck to have a little bit more oomph and a little bit more consistency, I would probably be looking at a card like Catacomb Sifter. And that card doesn't see play. So I don't... I, I I feel like this card finds itself in an awkward middle. And the deck will just not have room. Yeah, so the card finds itself in an awkward middle where I would say, like, if you... I mean, I don't know what kind of mad science this would take, but if you would, in theory, build a Yorion deck with Sacrifice, then I think, like, yeah, you'd you'd find room for this in your extra cards you want to run. But I don't know if you find that room in a 60-card deck.
0: Well, one thing that's interesting is, like, the food decks have been wanting to go lower and lower to the ground uh, with their costs. And I agree Catacomb Sifter is a sweet card. It's why it sees play in the Citadel version of the deck um, where it has a bit more play to it because getting Catacomb Sifter out as well as having a Woe Strider out and be like, ah, I'm going to sack a thing, get double scry, kind of turn through my deck and try to uh, hopefully um, you know, move these things out of the top of my deck so I can just kind of go off with uh, Citadel itself. Perfect. It slots right in there but the food deck wants to play as little three drops as possible. And mayhem devil is the exception because it's mayhem devil. And it's just so powerful. And it's just such a key integral part to the deck. Um, But look at the way historic is with, uh, I mean, all it takes is getting one card that gives you an excuse to not be in red and just go straight. Golgari, like a, the, um, the ravenous squirrel or whatever. Um, and y'all that helps. moth is pretty sweet. Um, but like just giving you any kind of excuse to kind of get out of that, they're going to want to find a reason to go lower, but this is still a reason to go lower. Catacomb Sifter is three mana compared to two, which we all know is a huge difference. It's it's almost like magic has that weird issue of um, the between mana. two and three. Yeah, three mana is so massive where it just kind of feels like you need to have a halfway point between those sometimes. Catacomb um,
1: Sifter is low key two mana though.
0: Because it makes the second the side body. you get.
1: Yeah. So and you do you, you do that bank that extra mana. That.
0: I agree. Um, it's just I think it's easier to find room for this card because the synergies are a bit more comfortable, if that makes sense, as opposed to catacomb sifter, where there are synergies, but you really want Woe Strider as well to really get the use out of Catacomb Sifter. And the food decks have already cut Woe Rider altogether. So I think that's where my thing is of why this card just can work. I think that there's, there's so much play to it that even its floor is still good enough where you're like, I'll take it. And its ceiling can just be like really great value to be the difference of like going further into the game of these grindy matchups. And the extra draining can be relevant for sacrifice stuff. Um, with its own ability itself because I mean that's what the food deck wants to do is just absolutely just grind the living fuck out of you and giving you any opportunity or avenue to kind of continue down that road I, I think you take it where Woe Rider and Catacomb Sifter don't offer that in the right way I think which yeah. is weird that's why this game's so fucking stupid in the best <laughs> way because you're looking at these two cards like Woe Strider Catacomb Sifter these are so good they're so fucking awesome but like they don't work well enough mathematically in this particular deck in comparison to a card that I agree with you on paper is worse than both of them, but better I think somehow here context matters. Yeah, yeah it does. So, but yeah, and then um, but moving on, uh, we got number eight for this list, and it's the first of several in this, uh, in this top 10 list is a vehicle. It's surge hacker mech. And, uh, you, you and I were already really high in this when we saw it spoiled or like this just slots into vehicles perfectly. It's a ravenous chupacabra. That's more often than not a hero's downfall rather than just a ravenous chupacabra, but also being colorless and a five, five with menace that maybe the turn later you go like, you know, uh, the, the mech, the, the two drop mech, um, mobilizer mech and you're like let's free crew this fucking five five menace too like i it's just again like you said context matters this on its own is pretty good but within the context of the vehicles that we have and the ways that you can play with this card in the deck you're just like oh holy shit this is sweet
1: yeah i i've um so i've i've pulled a brad and when neon dynasty released on arena i thought like all right screw it i'm sitting on a pile of gold i will craft blue white vehicles in historic because it's very similar you're missing uh and so artifact and dark Seal citadel which is a um an aspect i wanted to add to the deck and i haven't gotten to do that on arena because the cards aren't there do have black stuff of Waterdeep, which has been very good in this deck too mm-hmm. um but I tried to do some testing, etc. Just to get like a bit of a feel for the deck. Um, even just a mana base. I thought, like, you know what, let's just run this through a bunch of best of threes and see how often my mana base messes me up so I can save myself that pain in paper. And this card, and that's why you have it at 8, I think I had it at like 5 already on my list, and I might almost put it higher. This card fucks. Like, this yeah. card is so good. It it gives the deck like it's colorless so it goes in every artifact deck it's on theme so you don't have to like you know there's you can run an aggro deck and then a fatal push in it but that can get that can get a little awkward right when you put too many of these interactive cards in this allows you to have interactions it becomes a hero's downfall really quickly and then when you crew it this thing's a monster and especially like i already can't wait to slap an saw artifact on this guy and he's just a five five menace like that already came down and reference chupacabra a planeswalker if you feel like it like mm-hmm. this card is insane and this really this this is the card that sort of pushed me over the edge and made me look at vehicles and be like yeah this deck has everything now Like, it has good early threats, it has evasion, it has some recursion, though the recovery unit hasn't seemed great. Um, It's got some card advantage with Ingenious Smith, and now it's got removal too. Like, what else do you want from a deck?
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Random question. Do we have anything in Pioneer that's two mana that can bring back an artifact from graveyard to hand, like would that be better than the um than that three drop, the the
1: recovery unit? I don't no. I th- I think the recovery unit is good at what it does. I just don't know if it's what the deck needs. Like what I've yeah. what my experience has been with the deck is once you, uh, there's been cases where recovery unit has been a very good card, but um. And it is the card that I basically always cut, but that doesn't always mean that a card is bad. It can just be a good game one card. And um, that can actually be really good in a deck. If you have a good game one card that is an obvious cut for game two and three, that gives you sort of like a very clear cut plan that is like maybe not always the best plan, but sometimes just a clear cut plan that basically always works out well is actually like really useful to have in a deck. But the games where I had to default on recursion through Imperial units were the games I was losing pretty badly. Because otherwise, because it doesn't have evasion, I would basically always just resort to like crewing a Heart of Koran instead because I wanted to, I was like, it's a higher, it's a more winning line for me to just keep pushing damage and try and close this game out rather than default to this weird grind. That makes sense. So even if there is some two mana, because this is repeatable recursion, and I don't think there's going mm-hmm. to be a source of two mana repeatable recursion, so I think this is as good as it's going to get. That's an awesome yeah. walker, three four, big butt. Mm-hmm. I
0: I was testing uh, vehicles earlier today, just for funsies on arena, and um, I was going against Mono Blue uh like tempo with like curious obsession and like spectral sayer and all that and they slapped on a curious I, I they just kept I just kept jamming out threats and I'm like just counter it. I don't give a shit because I have like a handful of like eight vehicles. Like <laughs> okay counter counter counter. I finally got one to stick. It was the three drop the one that can copy something. Oh mine comeback's so good. And uh I just I it resolved I had the hotshot mechanic on the on the battlefield and then they're like okay Slavikir's Obsession, they're like, I have to attack because it's scary Obsession, otherwise I lose it, and I'm like, crew, flying, block your 2-2 with my 4-3, with my and they just insta-scooped, and I was like, this feels... this feels good.
1: Yeah, my Link Mac. I've done some really cool things with that card already. Uh, making it a 6-5 with Toolcraft Exampar is a really good clock. Um you can use it to basically make a copy of like a vehicle you've just played. So you could Mm -hmm. just play a Heart of Koran and then still make this like a Vigilance Attack or something and that's like, doesn't always come up, but there's like cute shit you could do. Ingenious Smith, play an artifact, this gets a counter and then next turn you can crew Surge Hacker Mech and then crew this and now it's a five power creature with Menace and Flying which is effectively unblockable in 99% of board states. But it just Cool Stuff you could do with that card too, but this is yeah. talk about Surge Hacker Mac. Uh, cards crazy, um, really gives a dimension to this deck that you would have very much missed had this card not been there. So, very welcome card,
0: yeah. And again, the whole reason it's so good is because it's maintaining your game plan of your initial game plan, your plan A, while being interaction, yeah. That's what determines a good deck it's just not going off theme having cards that can be dead in hand because even if this card is dead in hand you can still just play it as a four four or a four mana five five menace
1: yeah vehicle i think it's fine. as like the closing line for this which i think underlines how good this card is even if you're playing a black based vehicle deck you run this even though you have access to great removal
2: yeah all
0: right so number seven This was uh, a card that you really liked. Um, And uh, I'm going to essentially give you the floor for this one because I'm sure you have way more to say about it than I do. It's a Secluded Courtyard.
1: Yeah, so the 7-1 is Secluded Courtyard, which is literally um, unclaimed territory, but it also works for activated abilities. So it's an untapped land, enters the battlefield, taps for colorless. When it comes in, you choose a creature type, you could tap it, you could one mana of any color, you could spend it on the creature type or an activated ability of a creature with the chosen type. Now, what I think is so good about this, and it's, that's also kind of the downside I found with it, really only humans gets like a big boost out of this because there's very few tribes that are interested in branching out in three, four, or potentially five colors. But because mana confluence can be a bit harsh in numeral in large numbers it's never really been viable to branch out into a lot of colors with humans but i think this card could be good enough that we can now see cards like mantis rider show up in uh, in this format because we currently have celestia humans and oars of humans as like the main stays now this card might already make it so you can like marry these two and now you can start playing Ups on humans and the Celestia Humans was the Coco deck, and, Upsum, and Ors of Humans was the Luris deck. But maybe now you go into Upson. now you can maybe run a card like General Kudro in the deck, which is a very strong card. And trying to like marry these, but then you're in Upson. but then again you could be looking at... But you could branch out all the way into Jaskai. And the problem with this has always been mana. And in Modern, this to an extent got unlocked once we got unclaimed Territory. Because that gave us Cavern of Souls, Unclaimed Territory, and Ancient Ziggurat is the one they use in Modern. That's currently not in Pioneer yet. But that deck was like straight up five colors. Also somewhat off the back of Noble Hierarch. So that's also a card you definitely would be missing in this. But if we run maybe two mana confluence instead of the Ancient Ziggurat we were running... We can probably make three or four colors work pretty easily. Obviously, Aether Vile was also a card. So there's. I don't think you can play five-color humans in Pioneer. And it's going to take a lot before you can. But adding colors to a deck can often add a lot of dimensions to a deck as long as you're not hamstringing yourself too much. Like, yeah, you could play a three-color deck and make the mana work by slapping 12 shock lands and four mana confluence in it, but you're literally going to kill yourself in every game that you play. So I think secluded courtyard is very good, uh, but this is a card where I really feel like there is a chance to see zero play because there might not be enough to get out of you. You are hamstringing yourself too much by going into three mm-hmm. or four color humans, and you would rather be running a card like Igonjo, Boseju, that type of thing, and just sticking to fewer colors.
0: Though Self Freebooter is still a really good card. <clears throat> Um, and having the ability to play that, um, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I keep thinking of four colors in the sense of, um, uh, blue, red, black, and white. Yeah. I'm not really that interested in green. Cause the only reason you play green for the Slesney version is really for Coco. They don't even play the, the big shield boy, uh, which I think is like the, probably the best green human. That we have access to and they don't even play that it's essentially mono white with coco is selesnia so
1: I yeah that's definitely, four the color the, seems the, right. the modern version never was never a coco deck either
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i could definitely see it being a um being a non-coco deck and then you would be looking at a they called this Jeskai black at the time i think in dark here when they were playing four colors there is a name mm-hmm. for it because it's named after the the weird Ravnica creatures that somehow aren't legendaries. Um, I think everything but green is called ink, or something. But you, um, you would be—I can probably tell potentially you. looking at a card like a uh, deck like that.
0: Yeah, I think it could be cool. I, I do wish Kudra saw more play. Um, it is—it uh, is called, by the way, um, uh, Artifice is the name of that. Color combination.
1: I guess that makes sense. Um, Esper plus red. Just looking at it a different way. Esper is very much uh, Artifician.
0: Chaos is Grixis plus green. Aggression is Naya plus black. Altruism is Omnath colors. Uh, Growth is um, Abzan plus blue.
1: Is this Uh, based on the name of commander decks? Because these... These strike me as titles for commander decks. But anyway, uh, then I don't have outside the scope I of this no video for that. video, Ta-da. podcast. <laughs> um, it's because I'm talking to you and I can see you, so I feel like we're recording a video, but we're not. But I also feel like this is definitely the one, because we'll talk about the challenges, and I think like nothing even resembling four-color humans showed up. Because this deck is yeah. going to take a while to find like Five Color Humans was basically in the making for years and then we got Unclaimed Territory and it's like thank god the mana works now. But I don't mm. think a lot of people were trying to brew around the eventual return of cavern of souls because I hope we never get that card. And ancient ziggurat yeah. just doesn't read like the type of card they'd ever print anymore. So this was a this was a very welcome addition.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. You can probably Get away with other stuff, other type of lands too, but yeah, the, the mana base would be tricky to figure out. Like, do you go base black, base white? I mean, probably base white, right?
1: Oh yeah, you definitely uh, go base white. But you'd probably have to figure out what your. I think you're definitely going to go base white, and then you're gonna have to find like one color that's sort of like your your main thing. That's gonna be like where you can find something like your AFR man land if you want to run something like that or your your legendary land and maybe you're thinking like i want to play blood soak champion and i want to have the activated ability on which stuff like unclaimed territory doesn't work so i need to dip a little bit more into black and then it's going to be like two colors sort of floating around the outside like that's probably how the deck's going to look but determining the base color is easy it basically has to be white but I would how... say
0: white, black, then blue, and red is just that color. You're like, thank God we have these eight lands that let me cast Mantis Rider, essentially. Yeah, because
1: right? with blue you're looking at stuff like a reflector, reflector mage. mage. And stuff that you yeah, want to play. and then red is like, yes, yeah, here for for Mantis Rider because mm. that card's really good. Um, are there any
0: other humans that are good in blue?
1: I think Casick Malcontents is from. Original Innistrad, so we don't have that one, but we I'd probably be looking at something out of Innistrad. I'm sure there's some good red humans there with like stealing your creatures till end of turn effects that hijack effects, that sort of thing. That's zealous conscripts, not legal either, but that's the type of thing you'd be looking at. I think.
0: Guess we got a brew, let's do it. Uh, that could be your next article,
1: maybe. Oh, I, I saw to... that. Um you wanna check out a Japan hobbyist from MTG Pioneer? Mm. Uh, I know they've been working on some uh humans list that also had a lot of legendaries in it, so it was really trying to like abuse stuff like um what's the of human that makes all your legendary creatures indestructible? Like they were trying uh, to the f- bodyguard figure... or whatever. Yeah, from uh, Ikoria. They were trying to yeah. figure something around, around that too. So I-, I hope they come up with something cool and then I can steal it.
0: But yeah, I guess that's, that's actually a good segue to be like, yeah, so uh, remember when we talked about a, a website last week? Uh, we have the name. It's Playing Pioneer. Uh, we didn't have the name last week when we were announcing it because we were trying to iron out what name we want to go with. Uh, but yeah, playingpioneer.com, officially launched, officially out. Uh, I have an article on there about uh, Rakdos. Alex has an article about the Neon Dynasty lands. And by the time this episode airs, we'll probably have some more articles out that we're both working on and uh, looking to kind of uh, push forward. So yeah, we're very happy with the site so far. It's been actually going pretty smoothly.
1: Yeah, and we've we've got quite, quite some people on board, so that's super exciting. That keeps the you know keeps the amount of content flowing. Because if we had like four people writing for this website, that would uh, you know you wouldn't get enough traffic. But we've we've got yeah. some cool people hanging on, and also like some people with like experience in things like web development and stuff. And I think. Um, Rose is also was like used to be a newspaper editor, that type of thing. So that that helps because (laughs) I have zero experience in this department. I just talk about magic.
0: (laughs) And that's why we're here. Uh, So uh, number six is a card that is really sweet. Best of the cycle. Pretty easy. It's March of Otherworldly Light, which is your X in a white essentially a prismatic ending with the cost of like, you can exile another white card in your hand or reduce the cost of X by two. Um, yeah, this card's sweet. Uh, I, I think it has a lot of play. My favorite thing about this is that pitching cost or exiling cost is going to come in way more than you think. Cause let's say you're playing this in blue light control. They run a lot of cards, main deck that just can be dead like azorius charm um dovin's veto supreme verdict if you're going against like uh, you know non-creature matchups or dovin's veto against creature matchups that kind of thing you know like i gotta fucking kill a thing but i need to get rid of this stupid card or let's let's say you're playing a deck that plays portable hole and you're going up against uh the the big red deck that runs like the uh the eidolon effects and you've already tried getting their eidolons off the board and you're like well i can't use portable hole on this uh on this uh, uh brand, or the whatever so being able to uh, use uh, use that, the pitch is really strong. Um, this card's sweet. This is a staple in in blue white decks now, and any, any white deck that can honestly fit it, this is a staple card now.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm less convinced about decks that aren't blue white control. Um, though I could see it show up in small numbers, but I played against blue white control with this deck the other day, and it clearly showcased why this card is good. Because I think at one point they had a tef- they played the Teferi and they plused it. Uh, they un- had two white mana untapped. I tried to kill the Teferi and they're like, right, pay a white, pitch a card, kill one of your creatures. Pay a white, pitch a card, kill another one. Right, I untap with Teferi. Yeah. I uh, draw another card. I cast a memory deluge. You try and kill the fairy. Okay, right. I'll uh, pay a white, pitch a card, kill your card. And I'm going to like, uh, I don't know what they did, like seal away your other one or something. And it's like, who cares that you've just burned seven cards, right? You've drawn cards, you've protected your Teferi, and now you're going to bury your opponent in card advantage. Mm -hmm. And that, like, for the sake of casting this card, you could turn every white card in your hand into a dark ritual. Like, that is extremely good. And that ability to trade card advantage for tempo is extremely powerful. I've sort of ha- always have my little notes here and my bottom line is just just never count out mana cheating man like just don't.
0: Yeah, which was a uh, and I I made sure to repeat your statement on the on the goldfish video and I repeated it again for our number 5 which is mobilizer mech. Just don't don't count out free shit.
1: Nope. Play the free cards, like you know. Yeah. The, the the saying is always play the good cards, but the second saying is play the free cards. Like free There's cards, a reason good. We
0: have free cards banned, or cards that do uh, well above what they're meant to be doing.
1: There's a reason Ornithopter at- is overpowered. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean Ornithopter in the right deck is really strong. I mean, True. Ornithopter in the deck I was talking about with like uh, Patrick Automaton and um, what's the uh, what's the card? The um, the saga. That's, I think, the only good saga out of Neon Dynasty. The white one that's, like, an all that glitters type yeah, of effect. Michigoro's
1: um, Rain, something like that. Yeah,
0: like, playing an ornithopter and, like, growing your patchwork and then, like, playing a, um, a spring leaf drum and then tapping an ornithopter when it has so many sickness to get, like, a portable hold down for removal or whatever. I know a spring drum makes, you know... uh no a spring drum is any any color, yeah, so that's, that, any color. That, that's, that's fuck, fucking great. Um, and it continues to grow your thing. And then you can play that uh, saga and and be like, or not, yeah, the saga and and like target your Ornithopter that's flying. And now it's a a 5 7 that's coming in at your opponent. Ornithopter Um, is
1: the funniest card to show to new players and be like, the more powerful your format gets, the better this card is. And you showed them a zero mana, zero two. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, at least Memnite people understand because the thing has a power. Yeah, you're like okay. This hits, right? It's zero mana and it does things. Now yeah, ornithopter just vibes, doesn't care. Yeah, he's just chilling. And then you wake up a hammer, two in and a one shot your opponent.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you, you. <laughs> yeah, you just like you open with a hand. You're like I have three ornithopters. In my opening hand, nice. You just get you get there. It's great,
1: but mobilizer Macbrad,
0: it's the best vehicle. It's not even close, which is interesting because it's not the highest vehicle on the list, but we'll get to that. And there's actually, I think, a really good reason for that. But in a vehicle deck itself, this is the best. uh, It's a two mana uh, three, four flying uh, vehicle that basically says whenever you uh, crew it, you get to freely crew another vehicle um, just just for funsies. So being able to be like, okay, I have a three or four flyer coming at you. And then I get to reactivate a uh, surge hacker mech as a five, five menace or a heart of care in come uh, hit you that has vigilance. And then can potentially, you know, still stay back to block the next turn. If you recruit that kind of thing. Um, this this or or you turn on the uh, that three drop one that that then copies your toolcraft exemplar and the toolcraft exemplar was never actually tapped because you also have hotshot mechanic out so you have you swing in with a uh, a big old toolcraft with first strike and you also swing with the flying six five and then this with guy is just like oh my oh my god yeah it's so good like this is a four of and if there was any doubt for anyone as like, okay, what color do you go into? Cause they're traditionally it's Boros vehicles, or even like Mardu vehicles. Cause unlicensed disintegration is good. And there's nice inter- interaction there and synergies. And you could play Chandra, hard to care with Chandra or Gideon, that kind of, thing. no, 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 fuck you. You go into blue 100% now. Cause this card is that fucking good. And uh, I think Azorius is the way to go. But if you want to go into a third color, I think you're more than welcome to, but I like my clean mana bases. Um, I used to be an asshole and and love three plus color decks. And, but as I've gotten, you know, older in my, in my magic, uh, age, I guess I've come to be like, no, no, no. not giving a shit about my mana base is
1: pretty, it's pretty nice (laughs) to not care about what I'm, what I'm doing with my lands. Yeah. Like I, I will say my initial experience with this card is still, I still think this card is really good. And I still think it's the best vehicle in the deck. We'll touch a little bit on... I had the other vehicle lower on this list. um, On my initial list. This card is a little... Awkward to get going. Because in the early stages of the turn... You find yourself not having another vehicle. So if you play this on turn 2... And you're crewing it on turn 3... You won't have another vehicle ready. If you play a vehicle on turn 2 and you play this later, then this has summoning sickness. So you find yourself in a little bit of an awkward spot from time to time with this card, but then there's also turns where you basically, like, power up the full garage, and you've been going backwards and forth for a couple turns. and I've had a game where I think I had two mobilizer mech, and two like, two mobilizer mech, a heart of Quran, and a uh, recovery unit I think and I ripped a born to drive from the top, channeled it animated both my mobilizer mechs that animated my other two vehicles and the game just ended right there Mm. because of just how powerful it can be to just get this like double whammy out of every Uh, I've even used this in a rare occasion where I played this because I had a three power creature in play so I played this crewed this and then used that to get search hacker Mac going because it's a crew four mm-hmm. and then this had summoning sickness but i didn't care it wasn't about that card it was about a, the search hacker Mac. yeah so I this think... card flexible but it's it's a workaround it's very fiddly it's probably mm-hmm. like the fiddliest vehicle with how you yeah. sequence what you exactly do with it blah 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 it, it gets it gets finicky
0: I think the best way to evaluate this vehicle and the, the easiest way to justify being the best vehicle is to let's ignore the extra free crewing for now, right? Let's look at it just based on its stats. It's a two mana three four flyer that is that's already really really good, right? So early game you get a nice beater, a, a nice aggressive statted uh, you know evasive threat that late game can give you the flexibility to have those plays like you just described with like ripping a uh, born to drive off the top and all that good stuff. So I think let's well, evaluate it as a nice beat stick first with the flexibility to just make your deck have that higher ceiling later in the game, as opposed to just being like, let's let's abuse the free thing first before acknowledging how good it is on its own. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a good body first. And then the free thing second.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is this does a pretty good Heart of Koran impression while not being legendary, and Heart yeah. of Koran is basically the most efficient beat downy vehicle. And on Heart of Koran, that like you can take counters off a of plane. that that just like doesn't come up, like those yeah. don't go in the same deck. Like you basically never play walkers in this type of deck. If you go Jeskai, maybe Chandra dress to kill. It's like the type of card you could be doing cute. Mm cute stuff with with um your heart. It of used Karan,
0: to be probably three fairy. Like Jess Guy was the way to go with vehicles with like three fairy and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah and it
1: was but... Gideon in standard like Gideon out of in car. Like
0: but that boy's gone. So oh that, that card
1: is gonna be nowhere near my vehicle deck. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not.
0: Yeah just you don't compare this card to like once upon a time. Like once upon a time you're like I need to mulligan into having my free spell kind of yeah. thing. Right. Where this is just like if you see it you see it. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. Vehicles it's, it's, has so much great good. synergy. Yeah, exactly. But then we have our next vehicle at number four, which I know you don't have it as high on your list, but I'll explain why it's higher on my list than Mobilizer Mech, and it's uh, Mokotai uh, Soul Ripper. It is the two-mana, in a black four-three... That says when it attacks, you can sacrifice a creature or an artifact to put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and it gains menace until end of turn. The reason I have this higher on the list is because the impact it has feels far and away higher than Mobilizer Mech, because Mobilizer Mech is the introduction to a not new archetype, but a newer, like, actually, like, we have a vehicle deck now, that kind of thing. That's unproven. It's an unproven deck. Meanwhile, Soul Ripper can slot into an already existing proven deck that just, we've always joked about it, would never die, much like the way the deck plays with its creatures coming back in mono-black aggro. I think you have room to actually trim down on your spawn of mayhems and your even your rankles and just kind of go into a lower to the ground idea with it similar to the smuggler's copter uh, version of the deck back in the day um it plays so well with blood soaked champion of just swing in sacrifice blood soaked you got the attack trigger so now you can bring back blood soaked because you actually attack with the creature that turn it has perfect synergy there but it not only does it slot so nicely in a mono black aggro the amount of synergy this has because it says you can sacrifice an artifact as well i'm thinking like a version of like a like that raktos blood deck that we have now that could play this card and you have all these blood tokens that are just lying around that you can easily sack to just kind of get going and this this thing grows so fast and again menace not the best evasive ability but still a really good evasive ability nonetheless but it grows to a 5-4, a 6-5, a 7-6, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, that's a, and that blood deck is something that's really, really easy to keep making those blood tokens, as well as the new cards we got from the end Dynasty, like these other artifacts, like like the rabbit uh, whatever uh, card that you can get back with, like lures and things like that. Or there's the one that when it gets sacrificed, you get to basically like exile the top card, like light of the stage and play that this turn. Um and then you can sacrifice your extra, like, uh, Voldaren uh, uh, cards that you just don't really care about because it's just a 1-1 that's kind of getting, you know, jammed up by uh, the opponent's blockers anyway, so you might as well sack it and just keep growing it. There's so much room with it. And you already have things like Claim to Fame, so you can sack your Voldaren and then Claim to Fame your Voldaren back, make a Blood Token. The next turn you have another thing to sack for a Soul Ripper and just keep kind of going that way. And and it sounds weird, but maybe you can even try this in a Sacrifice deck as well like if you make all the food tokens you can sacrifice those those are artifacts um, you can sacrifice the cat itself if you have a bunch of food tokens lying around you can still kind of recur and get it back especially if you have multiple um, what's it called uh, which ovens out if you're playing the version that has only cult anvil you can sacrifice that as well as the artifact because you don't want it on the battlefield anyway Alex so might as well sacrifice it
1: uh, I, Get this, you a one one card... to sacrifice
0: next turn <laughs> exactly like the, okay this card I have higher because the amount of decks it has the potential to go into and the amount of synergies that I can just rattle off the top of my head right then and there, and I'm sure there are even more that I'm not thinking of, makes me think this card is fucking insane. Like, it's just so nice. And it's so amazingly statted already.
1: Yeah, I think... And it's a crew too. Yeah, what convinced me more when you were talking is definitely the, like, blood aggro archetype kind of thing. Um, where I do see this card having more value. My problem that I initially had with this card is that, first of all, I don't think this is good enough to make you play a black-based vehicle deck. Like, I think the Azorius yes. Shell is strong enough, and this would replace Heart of Kiran, most likely, mm-hmm. which I don't think this card is that much better that it would... I agree push you into being black. So that can, base on, like, if Thoughtseize and Fatal Push are, like, absolutely fucking phenomenal cards in the format, then this is, like, an extra push to going, like, Esper Vehicles because you want to have Thoughtseize, you want to have Fatal Push, then you might as well pick up this card, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's good, but I didn't think it was good enough for that. And I think this card... Even though it seems to work very well, I think this card is like giga overrated for mono black aggro, and it's mainly because mono black. This card, if you want to keep feeding this card, uh, to not just have it like die to push or other like pretty easy removal spells, um, in mono black that takes a lot of mana. Like every turn, you need to like pay for your raid or pay for your scrounger or, and all that type of thing that like keep getting this card back. And I don't think Mono... I, uh, how did I write it down? I don't think the recurrable creature Castle Lockthuane Rankle deck had a problem using its mana every turn. So mm-hmm. it doesn't actually add an element to the deck. It just makes it a little better at what it was doing already. Yeah. Now, I am much more intrigued by Blood where if you play your blood tithe harvester then you sack you get a blood to sack and then the creature to sack which is also the thing that's crewing it and you know you could play like blood tithe harvester on this turn use that to crew the vehicle swing with it sack the blood you made and then next turn you crew it with the blood tithe harvester and sack the harvester and like mm-hmm. a line like that or as you said with the epicure that eventually kind of becomes dead because it is a 1 one to start. I think that's like a super interesting way to take the deck. And in that way, I feel like this card could be a lot better if it shows up in something a little new because I don't think it makes it's actually like mono black aggro. I don't th- I think it's going to be good. And I think if you play mono black aggro, you will play Migodai Soul Ripper and you will then also change your one mana suite of cards because I think Dread Wanderer then just like is bad. And you want to find something else because it enters tapped and it's three mana, which means that like mana investment is even larger. Uh mm-hmm. so I don't think you want to be doing that. I think Scrap heap can eat artifacts when it's in the yard ER to come back, not just creatures, but I'm not sure about that. No, it might just be creatures.
0: I think it's just creatures, but I mean yeah. either way But you, I mean it's good. To go back there. To the,
1: yeah. But not To great. go back to the um
0: to the blood token thing though maybe you could even just build blood in a way that you just run blood soak champion in the deck as just an extra one drop to play that can easily be sacrificed. And you don't mind sacrificing blood soak champion that much to things like deadly dispute, because you're probably attacking with something anyway on your turns, typically with that kind of deck, cause you're lower to the ground, a bit more aggressive so you can get raid activated pretty easily.
1: Um, Oh, yeah, yeah I, 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 do I played against just... Rectos Vampires yesterday. That was an aggro deck. Luris de- it wasn't mm-hmm. even a Luris deck. So it was Rectos Vampires, but didn't even run Sorin nonsense. And that played Bloodsoak Champion because it just yeah. works so well in the deck, even though it's a human warrior. And, you know, the cool thing is if you want to attack with this one, if you play this on turn two, you can play that statue on turn three. And mm-hmm. that triggers and is a haste creature. When you sacrifice a blood, it doesn't say to what. So then you can play this one, play the statue, sack the food you got, triggers the statue, gives you a 5 4 menace and a 3 3 haste. Yep. And that might have just triggered revolt to fatal push your opponent's 3 drop out of the way. Right? Yeah. If we're looking in that angle i think this card could actually and that's kind of convinced me Like talking now that this card could be fucking gas in those decks and that's why i'm yeah. thinking like yes this card is actually like super good and not just like nice to have
0: yeah it's just like it has a home that can easily slot into a monoblack aggro but like again it's just so many synergies if it didn't have that or artifact clause on its sacrificing ability
1: it'd be kind of it bad. wouldn't
0: yeah, it, we wouldn't be talking about it as much. It'd be like, okay, yeah, Mono Black Aggro is the home, and that's pretty much it. It maybe brings that deck up a little bit, but not too much. But the fact that it can go in all these other types of decks is where I'm just super interested, and I, I think this card is going to be a, a mainstay in the format that you're probably going to see a lot of. So please don't put away your Fatal Pushes. You need them.
1: Yes. Please start investing in your Insert Shatter effect. There's a lull, actually. Is it finally uh, K-Command's time to shine again?
0: I, I mean, I was never down on K-Command. I still think it's a I cool played in card, a control so... deck
1: and it was ass. But I can see, I can see it probably well, being good outside of... Even well, we talked in about, about
0: this before. You were basically saying like, okay, every time I play K-Command, I'm dealing two damage to my opponent and having to discard a card. So when those are the only modes you pick over and over and over again in your control deck, of course, it's going to be pretty bad. Yeah. Um,
1: but now but when it shatters,
0: the... that already yes. like,
1: hey, that's going to come up more often.
0: And the deck that I play with K-Command is the Rakdos Midrange, and when I'm bringing back my, after after I already forced you, Mr. Control Player, to two-for-one yourself to get rid of my Graveyard Trespasser, I'm K-Commanding <laughs> having you discard and bring it back my motherfucking thing anyway, so now I'm having you discard, basically
1: making you three-for-one yourself.
0: And I'm sitting here with this thing. control
1: deck, and I'm like, I thought two-for-one was my ding, my thing.
0: My, <laughs> get <laughs> fucked. <laughs> the future is now old man i'm the control player now except i have actual threats
1: so yeah, i th- uh, i think this is actually i mean i wouldn't know what episode this is because it's a long time ago but this is something interesting kamigawa can bring and we we discussed this this was this could literally be like a year and a half ago that red had the problem as a control color that red has access to a lot of shatter effects but mm-hmm. shatter effects aren't relevant yeah. And we're seeing a lot of good artifacts. We're gonna see a lot of good artifacts, I'm sure. So that could be a really interesting way where we could finally maybe see control decks more regularly go into Jeskai, it? which we're already seeing a little bit of, uh, Grixis, that type of thing, because Shatters might become relevant again. I mean, there's a lot of artifacts on this list.
0: Yeah. Everyone, buy your Hanadas from Neon Dynasty. Get your playset of Biforce in the sideboard, and just pay one red to kill every artifact you fucking see. That sounds so great. But that I, I actually want to play that as a deck, like a Jeskai Hanada deck.
1: And if you don't want to play Hanada, just get Vandal Blast. It got reprinted in a Commander product last last year. It's Benny's. Yeah.
0: Well. Speaking of artifacts... And pennies. This card's cheap. (laughs) Yeah, it's Hotshot Mechanic. It's the reason for a vehicle deck. We thought Mobilizer Mech was the reason to go into blue for vehicles, but the real reason to play vehicles again is Hotshot Mechanic. And something I said in the video when I was talking to Seth, I was like, initially you might be thinking, hey, this is, you know, Toolcraft exemplars copies 5 through 8. And I was like, no, no, no. Toolcraft Exemplar is now copies 5-8 of fucking Hotshot Mechanic. That's how good I think this card is. I think it's better than Toolcraft Exemplar in the vehicle deck that Toolcraft takes the back seat now to this card. And the only thing Toolcraft has going for it now is the fact that it can be copied by the other vehicle to make it a 6-5 flyer. Otherwise, this card's amazing. It turns on Toolcraft Exemplar. It makes sure that it crews pretty much everything in your deck. It crews mobilizer mech. So then when you can't crew your, your four crew things and things like that, mobilizer mech is like, don't worry, buddy, I got you covered. Now I'm going to crew it for you. And it, it is just so good. And again, it's an artifact creature. So a genius Smith can dig and find it. Um, you can even, if you're playing black stuff, water deep in your, in your uh, vehicle deck, you can be like, eh, I got nothing else going on. Let's just make this boy a four, four and swing in. Like you have play with this card it's a one drop. It's a Savannah Lion, which isn't the best thing in the world anymore. But the amount of times I've played this on turn one had nothing else
1: to do. Oh man, Savannah Lions like, are severely underrated. Like, yeah, just smack you. But it's like, I damage. I am the biggest Savannah Lion fan on this planet, probably. And I generally don't even play white decks. But I just see one when I two one, and I just immediately am interested. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good stats for a one drop. <laughs> yeah, and this had no
0: reason to be. Uh, a one mana, uh, two one.
1: Because all the tokens uh, and stuff are one ones. That have yeah, this one's like
0: no, no, no. I'm you, but, but stronger. I'm you,
2: but better. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: I I don't I don't know what else to say about this card. It's yeah, I think
1: I think this card's super good. Um, I will say, you initially went like to toolcraft exemplar, like toolcraft exemplar takes the backseat. I I think this toolcraft exemplar does take the back seat, but like the backseat is like. A limousine with like a jacuzzi and like mm. you know alcohol and hot dwarven ladies in the back for the toolcraft exemplar. Because like you don't yeah. mind being in this back seat, right? Yeah, of course. Because it's an artifact to trigger it, so you very regularly you do actually swing in with the toolcraft exemplar because the artifact count with hot shop mechanic and your vehicles gets so high it basically turns toolcraft exemplar into a one-mana three-two first strike, which is yep. bananas. Um, that has the fact that this card is an artifact has worked out so well in this deck. Like I, when I've played it now, the fact that this is an artifact, it constantly comes up, triggering uh, finding it of your ingenious smith, triggering your ingenious smith, making sure that you can like play some early threats. Right, the line of like turn one two craft exemplar into turn two. Um, I don't know portable hole um hot shot mechanic that type of thing like coming up and then building like those early threats but then this being an artifact you get your first strike early this can power search mech or heck I think I said mm-hmm. it again the wrong way around search hacker mech for some reason I keep saying it's search mech or heck I don't know what my brain is doing yeah. um has been relevant yeah good Savannah line always works uh this card is just like the almost like the central piece it's the glue. This card is the glue of the entire yep. vehicle's archetype. And yeah, it's
0: not even like the jank glue like Treasure Map was and standard stuff like that. It is the. No, no, the,
1: the super glue.
0: Yeah, this is the gorilla glue like Fox. <laughs> so, Fox glue? Uh, the Fox glue? Just, just don't is put the, it in your hair. <laughs> what does the Fox say, Alex? Oh,
1: God. fox make Foxes make terrible noises. They sound horrible. You wouldn't think it's a Fox.
0: And yeah, it's not it the like,
1: ding ding like ding ding ding. It's like, yeah, it's actually just a person screaming. Yeah,
0: like I remember I had there was this girl I dated, and she said that like years ago they she was like at like a friend's house, she was in the pool or whatever, and they heard this awful noise like a screaming, and they have no they to, she to this day she doesn't know what it was. In the back of my mind, I was like, I bet it was a fox. Yeah. <laughs> Those things sound. A wh- if you if you watch a horror movie and you see the white girl early on get killed because she decided to go fuck her boyfriend for some fucking reason when there's a killer going around, which I love that trope so much in horror movies because white people are so stupid in these <laughs> stupid movies. That that that's what the fox does. So that's, that's what it sounds like. That's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> Except for hotshot mechanic, your opponent's going to be sounding like the fox. Because they're going to be terrified of the Savannah Fox swinging in at you and crewing your vehicles. So, hooray!
1: I love where this metaphor went. I just shut up and I just let you talk. <laughs> it's the
0: ADHD. I have all these thoughts. I'm like, I have to say all of them. I'm not allowed to contain myself.
2: All
1: right, and now we'll, we'll go into the top two. And this is where our all caps argument started. But we'll go in your order. And then I'll talk about why that difference doesn't matter at all. So, okay. um, well, what's the number two. two, Brad?
0: Number two is the legendary land cycle of all these wonderful free lands that we see to just, you know, jam them in your deck if you can. There's not much else to say about them. They are essentially free. They can't be thought seized. Read my article. can countered. Yeah, read, read Alex's article. That's, that's the best way to do it. Um, and they're great. They're amazing. And it's, it's a... My argument... For this versus the number one, which I guess I might as well just say what the number one is. Well,
1: I, I think we can talk about the number one and then we could talk about a difference a little bit. But I, I'll quickly, rather than just like yeah. read my article, uh, which I think is a cheap plug. I will give you the TLDR of all five of these lands. So okay. the red one is a free included mono red aggro. It, it's literally free. And um, you can do actually very interesting things in it with cards like Adonable Creativity, Winoda, etc. Just overall, pretty solid card. Uh, Igonjo is potentially the best one in the cycle, which a lot of people probably are surprised by. It is phenomenal in white weenie style decks. But basically any white deck that cares about the board, which is all of them, because they're either blue-white control or they're white-based aggro. It's even better in humans, because they have a lot of legendaries, so this will regularly cycle for one or two mana. Uh, fun note for Azorius Vehicles, Heart of Karana's is a legendary creature. So, that works. Yeah. Um, and I think it single-handedly makes Blood Baron of Viscopa an unplayable magic card now. Because the kind of decks that this card will shit on are decks that are definitely packing at least one copy of Igonjo, and this damage is colorless. So cards phenomenal pioneers a lot about creature value. I uh, got creature combat, and this your your flood insurance being creature removal is just chef's kiss. Yeah, uh, Takanuma the um, the black one is it's just good, right? There's not much interesting to say about it. Just you're fueling escape. And dig through time while grabbing Narset and Chandra Torch of Defiance from your graveyard. Like, what else do you want? Right? It's just good. Um, yeah. Otawara is basically the best problem-solving card of all time. Um, where basically uh, the way I put it in the article is, we all can think of a handful of of a handful of situations where Otawara would have won us a game of Magic, no matter who you ask what deck they play, what format they play, they would have been in a situation where they're like, man, would have straight up won the game if I had a bounce spell here. And now it's in your hands. Amazing. And you, I mean, everyone's been talking about this Ad Nauseum, right? Um, yeah. It goes well on Monoda, and it deals with Grafdigger's Cage. It is basically the handmade perfect card for a Lotus Field, and it will absolutely make that deck like skyrocket in power off the basis of just being a land. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, I I would argue that Lotus should play three in the main, one on the side. I think it's that good.
1: I think because you could tutor it so easily, I think one main, one side is sufficient, but I can see it going up.
0: Yeah. I Even with the tutor ability, I'm just like... "Uh,
1: You end up sacking your lands early often, so the legendary clause even matters less. Exactly. So that's pretty pretty dope but number then, one brad
0: for comparison's sake number one i put his light paws our, our fox friend that goes into auras that kind of thing another good um, fox uh, yeah the uh, ruckman for crew three tweeted out yesterday or the day before he's like what should i play He put a poll or whatever between orzov auras and another i don't remember the other deck was but orzov auras was one of them and I was like, I responded, I'm like, I want to finally know what the fox says and why it's I just win. Like that, <laughs> so that's so sweet. The card is good. It's perfect for uh, for auras. We don't have the the one that historic has the um, the course O2. Dancer. Yeah, core spirit answer. Um, so this is your copies five through eight of SRAM, but it's tutor uh, has tutorable uh, effects on it. And allows you to play this toolboxy type of uh, plan with your Orzhov auras or even Selesnia, that that kind of thing to find more answers. Um, you can find Kaya's ghost form; just be like stick it on. If you kill it, that's going to come back anyway, and you can tutor a thing again because ETBs again. Um, you can find if Niv to Light becomes a deck again. Um, odds are you're in auras that you're probably going to bump up your copies of. Um, the, the fucking Stone Cold Serpent anyway to have that multicolored protection. But you can also tutor for the one-mana aura that just says, this creature has protection from multicolored spells, which can help you against the Niv matchup if that deck kind of climbs back up again. And the reason I have it at number one, over the lands, which is where Alex and I had this little bit of an argument, kind of like him, he, him saying I'm drunk, that kind of thing, um, <laughs> is an argument of quantity over quality. And my thinking is the legendary lands. It's not that they're not of quality value. They are. They're phenomenal. They're free. All the things we just mentioned that the rundown Alex said, there's a deeper dive for his article, all that good stuff. The lands are phenomenal, but they are a matter of quantity because they go in everything that can freely play them, which is almost every deck possible. If You can find a way to fit it in your mana base comfortably, or even semi comfortably, just to justify it, you're going to do so. But the impact value, where the quality aspect comes in, I feel like is higher for light pause because outside of Lotus Field and maybe maybe Winota with Boseju, you can make an argument for, for White Weenie and stuff like that uh, with uh, with the white one and and maybe even control with the blue one. But I would say those cards bump up value to these decks, but none of these cards slotting into decks besides Lotus field can really bump it up in power level significantly enough to allow it to jump into this tier one space of being a dominant deck in the format where light pause I feel is that good of a card that slots so perfectly in the auras deck and is so powerful on its own. It's such an amazing card that helps you find the answers that you need to kind of find and allows you to keep pushing forward in your deck when, you know, you you kind of don't have that much options available to you, or you run out of steam a lot, that kind of thing. That can push auras into a tier one status. And even though it's not as relevant, the accessibility aspect of auras, even though Lotus Field is also a challenger deck, but auras is a very cheap deck on Moto, and in paper has the challenger deck with the extremely easy upgrade path of just getting your godless shrines and your pathways and this card and and the other toolboxy stuff you get like kaya's ghost form the uh, the multi protection uh, spell or the, or the pro- whatever um and then like if you want to go into blue or, or whatever and you go into like cure's obsession it doesn't matter it's easier to kind of find that upgrade path where lotus you kind of go if you get the challenger deck you kind of got to go in the ultimatum version you might go into the weirder ultimatum version that runs the um the one that the black spell that discards your hand and you search for three cards put it into your hand, um, that kind of thing, um, which is a cool combo with omniscience. Uh but Lotus is a bit more of an upgrade path that you want to go into from yeah. the challenger deck, where this one is pretty much ready to go with honestly one addition to add to it, if you I mean, because I don't even though of Shrine and Pathways are really. I mean, you could just go Mono deck, White. Exactly. If you're, if like, you the could. mana
1: sucks and, like, you can make this deck work as mono-white. And you know what? You make this deck mono-white, you could still put a copy of Kaya's Ghost form in it. Yeah. Who cares? Because it just tutors it just, and attaches it. It's there for tutoring, and if you draw it, sucks to be you, I guess. Yeah. So...
0: And you already get the four Concealed Courtyards and the four Cave so, like, the deck is already essentially mono-white, so eight... Yeah copies of uh, you could even of, cut of the case lines. of coilos
1: and literally just run four of the fast lands yep and then you're like okay and sometimes sometimes i could play the ghost form and sometimes i can't
0: okay
2: yeah
1: whatever
0: uh, so yeah i just think it's a quality versus quantity aspect and both these cards or i guess these six cards are phenomenal but light pause has a little bit higher impact in my mind on the format uh for a specific deck and not just the format as a whole. Yeah, if that makes sense.
1: I'll uh, I'll touch on light Balls quickly first and then I'll go a bit about that thing you just talked about. Um so I think light pools is I had it at number 3, I think. Um because I had hotshot mechanic at number 2 because I really feel like this archetype wouldn't exist without that card. Uh mm-hmm. but that was it was all like super close right on if i had looked if i looked at it on another day i might have put light pulse at number two you know um but there's there's two things so there's a couple of gripes that i have against light pools which makes me think it's somewhat less good of a card first of all the aura needs to have a different name than any aura you control so if you want to get most out of light pools you're looking at that like Lots of like toolboxy, a bunch of one-offs type of effects, which actually is kind of okay because there is a lot of redundancy in artifact. There are quite a few auras that do kind of the same thing, hmm. so you could just run a bunch of one-offs. You could take like like a your griff's boon could be a one-off and your cartouche could be a one-off, and then you just like sprinkle some random one-offs that do kind of the same thing in your deck and you can basically get maximum value out of light pools all the way but that toolboxy aspect of light pools isn't that good in pioneer it's the value part you have to read this is basically draw a spell but the toolboxy part doesn't actually do that much right kaya's ghost form is okay um But you don't have, like, Spirit Link or Umbras or uh, good protection. The only thing, if you go into Celestia, you can get Alpha Authority, which is a two-man enchantment that just straight up gives Hexproof, uh, which could be a cool thing to tutor up, which also solves the other problem. And that's that everything has to go on light pools. What I think is cool with SRAM is that you actually just don't slap anything onto SRAM. And if they go and kill Sram, like, if you... What I think is super cool, if you go Sram and you put an ethereal armor on your other creature, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to stop me drawing extra cards with Sram, or are you going to kill the creature that's about to get an ethereal armor slapped on it? And that's going to be like a 7-7. With light pulls, to an extent, that's the same card. So if they kill your light pulls, your plan kind of falls apart as a whole, it's also not a cast trigger. Um... So there's some things going against light pools, though I still think it's a very good card. I initially thought, like, maybe you just run, like, two or three light pools or you go three-three split versus SRAM because maybe you're, like, gonna, like, pay off Flood but not have enough enchantments. That's, I think, wrong. You just four off both and you just make the deck run, like, buttery smooth in the early game. And you you want redundancy of must-kill cards, right? So that's fine. Yeah. Uh, if you, unless you fully Sram Flood, generally, if there's games where you're like, man, I've had this Sram on the battlefield for four turns and one rotting in my hand, it's like, oh no, poor you, right? Like, <laughs> you're probably still doing great. Um, So definitely a strong card. I think the whole, like, why do I think the land cycle is better is I try to, I, I try and like quantify these things all the time. So let's say we have made... S- Auras was like a solid 6. And now it's going to be like a solid 8. You've added 2 points to 1 deck, which is a a huge impact for 1 card to have on a deck. It's it's enormous. Very few cards have that type of impact on 1 archetype. I think the lands add like 0.2 to your average deck. But if I add 0.2 to 30 decks if I'm sort of trying to evaluate the power of the format as a whole, I've added six points, right? So I think, like, even though I get the quality over quantity, this quantity is so large that I'm like, in my book, it trumps the quality, but it's it's more semantics, right? That's just a way to evaluate things. Because you could yeah. also argue... Because the lands go in most decks, they hardly have an impact at all. Because if every deck becomes a little better, doesn't the power rankings just stay the same?
0: Yeah, the playing field stays about the same.
1: Yeah, the playing field everyone. stays the same. Like, what is it? A rising tide raises all uh, ships? Raises all
0: ships, yeah.
1: So like if every ship's at the same height, if all said and done, obviously there's a couple of exceptions here, but like Lotus, but like if as a whole, most ships are still at the same height, nothing's changed. So cards haven't actually done anything. That's kind of a way to look at it. So this is all again, it's semantics. These cards are just all good, right? Yeah. I think we can argue for days if the land should be one or light poles, like between to an extent, hotshot mechanic, light poles, and the lands. But you could literally put these three on a wheel and just spin the wheel and just see whatever fucking order they end in, right? It's the same yeah. deal. Right?
0: They're it's they're all, all so
1: close. Yeah.
0: There's one added element that helped me with this at number one, and that was because you're talking about impacting the format as a whole, right? Yeah. Where my argument seems like it's impacting a singular deck more so than the entire format. Yeah. I would argue that if the impact on the deck is so strong, it impacts this the format because the, the it changes everyone's sideboard plans. There's a lot more like soul shatter type of edict effects that you're going to have in your boards to try to get around, uh, you know, like uh, this the aura's deck that you're going to want to bring back. um, And that can change the suburb plans, which we've seen so many times before where like, if you have to dedicate your sideboard to all these different types of like areas we saw this with the the three combo meta right with kept uh i mean the four combo meta for being honest yeah. um where all of these combo decks did vastly different things on the spectrum of what a combo deck does so it's not like you could just be like okay i'm gonna bring in my four deafening silence and I'm like okay <laughs> combo decks taken care of it didn't work that way you had to spread your sideboard so thin to attack each of them in a A good way to help your game plan, but that made your sideboard plans overall worse against other decks, which could then bring up other decks into the forefront of the meta because there's people less side have less consistent sideboard plans for those kind of decks. You might see Is a Phoenix rise up again, you might see other decks we haven't really thought of rise up again because the meta allows it to shift and have these ebb and flows.
1: And it might not be that drastic, it really might not be, but it could. Is yeah, that's. And that's kind of what, like, I think you're completely correct if Light Pulse was like, I don't know, didn't have the restriction that it had to go on Light yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is like, this is going to make Ors of Aura, like some Auras deck, genuine, like solid tier one. It's there, uh, up there with Phoenix, Winoda, and the like. I don't think it's going to make Auras that much better. I think it's just going to take a deck that every once in a while shows up on the front page of Goldfish be a mainstay on Goldfish. Or sort of akin to like burn, that type of thing. Well,
0: I mean, let's think about it this way though. Like we talk about, or I talk about the accessibility aspect of it, right? It's a, it's a cheap deck on Moto, And then of course in paper, you have the challenger decks, right? So if you go to an FNM or even if you go to any kind of paper tournament whatsoever, there's a very high chance you run into this deck a lot which can change the local metas that you see and that could translate into uh like actual higher quality tournaments of like more significance because let's say you're just a person that's been jamming this at an FM for a while and they become the best auras pilot there is and that kind of raises the stock on the deck even more because it's already accessible all that kind of thing yada yada uh, I mean, again, yeah, semantics. Again, this,
1: yeah, this is this is heading into the into semantics territory again. Like, yeah, if we could think of scenarios where, um, but so I think I want to quickly touch on uh, two cards that were in my top ten that didn't make it into our combined top ten. Um, which I just quickly want to touch on. One is Lion Sash, but I'll be honest, if I had more time to think, this might have left my top ten too. Uh, good card, but what the fuck are we doing with it in Pioneer? Uh, Scavenging Ooze isn't a good card, really. We don't have Stoneforge Mystic to tutor it up. Um, Graveyard Hate is to some extent really a quantity over quality thing right now because we're like trying to hold back delve spells and escape spells and that sort of thing. So it's not much about like sniping a card from a graveyard as it is about getting rid of the whole graveyard. Um, so just a good card in a vacuum, but where would you ever play it in this format? Right now. And the other one I wanted to mention is <clears throat> Tamiyo Safekeeping, because I just think it's arguably the best protection spell of its kind. It's just not a thing we see very often anymore. Like, what's the last time someone played a fair deck and they just, like, saved a creature with Blossoming Defense? Like, nobody really does that. Mm-hmm. But this is a really good card. And I think, what I was thinking, if Auras heads into Celestia, this solves the Karamatris blessing problem of, like, go and kill your SRAM. Shit, it's not enchanted yet. This card doesn't do anything. Like, go to enchant my SRAM. Okay, cool. Kill it in response before you can protect it. And that this card solves that problem, and it would just be, like, the freest swap for Karamatris blessing. Mm -hmm. And... It's actually a card which was my underrated card, which at the time I think it was. People talk a bit, a bit more about it now with Mind Link Mech because I just heard the most hilarious interaction with it this afternoon. You play a Mind Link Mech on turn three and you play a Calamity Bearer on turn four. This thing swings in for 16. And I just thought that was amazing because it becomes <laughs> a copy. So it double doubles the damage of your giants and this has 4 power. So you have a 16 power flyer on turn 4. Which I just thought was an amazing interaction.
2: All right, let's play as a giants. Let's do it. <laughs> Honestly,
1: is it giants? This would vehicles? actually be awesome in a deck like that. Like ditch the vehicles, just throw this in your is a giants. There's other mm-hmm. cool giants with a bunch of attack triggers and that sort of thing that you would very much like to copy with Mind Link Mag. So actually, not even a meme. You're playing Is a Giants, you probably want to play a set of this.
0: If you play Grixis Giants, you can play Croxa, because
1: it's, it's an elder giant. Doesn't it become legendary then, though, and you have to rule it? Oh, no, it, 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 it oh, no. becomes a copy of a non-legendary creature.
0: Oh. Oh, I wanted to swing it with double Croxa. <laughs> that's okay. We'll just play Mardu Kroxa and just play Hushbringer.
1: And for the people who are like, how the fuck did neither of you talk about Michiko's reign of truth to more of an extent? Challenges, we'll get to it. Yeah. All right. I guess that's what we could do now. So we're gonna have right. a quick look at the challenges. Kinda see what like worked out in week one? That's the privilege we have of being late. And uh, see, see, Brad, like the slackers, they always they always get the better end of the stick. We just let the other people do the hard work and then we just...
0: Yeah, fuck, fuck the early bird gets the worm bullshit. I get to sleep in and get your worms and my
1: worms. <laughs> I get to be late and just like steal your shovel. Like, I'm just going to dig up these worms. Hello? Yes. But we had a good reason. Still a good reason. Yes, exactly. So. Uh, Saturday challenge won by Wars of Auras. But Brad, they're not running Kaya's ghost form. Oh, no. I guess it, the card was... is bad and just shouldn't be in the deck, right? Wrong. It was bugged on Moto, like all good things.
0: <laughs> like Winota still is.
1: And Karn is now. What? (laughs) If you plus Karn the Great Creator on a vehicle, it becomes a 1-1.
0: I hate this game.
1: So, I mean, it's fine with Parhelion, because you still get your angels, so you're not that sad, but you're still sad. How does that work? How
0: is that a a bug?
1: I have no idea. I mean, if you talk about spaghetti code, MTGO sometimes crashes and replays the entire match for you. (laughs) Like...
0: I'm confused because wouldn't you have to have it written in the code that says when Uh, blank happens, it becomes like you have to put in the numbers one one for its power and toughness equals this in the code. So how is that a bug that even happens?
1: It's probably like like picking it up as being like, I don't know, maybe Karn's effects stole like templating from another card or something it's like i'm not even gonna pretend to know how code works it's i have no idea
0: i I have a very limited idea of it but i know enough when it comes to like numbers and and generation of numbers and how it works in that regard to understand like this feels like a weird bug
1: (laughs) i mean league players will all know that walls are minions that meme where you had certain walls in the game that would be created by other effects, but they were coded as minions, so you could like walk through them with certain abilities. It's like, yeah, this allows me to walk through minions. It's like, this is a wall. It's like, nope. According to the code, it Mm -hmm. isn't.
2: It's not. (laughs) Uh,
1: Anyway, Uh... so Auras of Auras, and we see it show up with uh, Lightpools as a four-off, Sram as a four-off. But like I said... Even, like, actually going less on the light pools, this doesn't even do the thing of, like, trim on Griff's boon and just, like, spray in some artifact, uh, some enchantments that, like, do some random shit just to get more light pools value. They're like, no, I think tutoring up an ethereal armor is good enough if I don't have one yet. No other two-mana enchantments to try and get all that glitters more often. Just not trying to be cute at all. Just we take auras... But we make it a little better, and I think that's a very good week one strategy when people are doing cute shit. Yeah, then second place we see John Sacrifice with Oni Cold Anvil. We did it, and with Karn. So there's even another Oni Cold Anvil in the sideboard, there's a witch's oven in the sideboard. Uh, they took Treasure Vault instead of Dark seal Citadel as their thing to drop, which I think is cute because you know no Nissa, so you don't care mm-hmm. about it being indestructible. Yeah, yeah this... and
0: you can sacrifice for the treasures, more things to sacrifice to dead dispute, more ramp into uh, stuff in general. I I, I guess I uh, sure.
1: Yeah, this is just I don't know. It's it, it's just a different take on sacrifice. It's missing some cards that you'd normally see in this deck but still the general, like, cat oven, trill of crumbs, everything's a permanent type of engine. Then, in the <clears throat> third place, once again, this is a... Um, this is with that uh, experimental synthesizer sort of blood cult Alter, like you were talking about. A Little bit surprised to not see the Soul Ripper in this one.
0: Yeah. Um, uh. But, I mean... I I get it. It, It's probably tough to figure out the numbers because you want to try out Experimental uh, Synthesizer. You want to try out Oni Cult. Um, They're playing some Blood Founds as well, but you still want enough spells to be able to do things. You want to run your 4 Deadly Disputes. It's running Voltage Surge as well. Uh, Your Thoughts, Fatal Push, your K Command. I can see how hard it is to fit this into the the deck
1: cleanly. Uh, Then we see probably the biggest... Uh, deck to show up in this entire weekend and it's blue white and soul mostly going off occasionally running the automaton that we're talking about earlier but all of them have consistently taken out all that glitters and added um michiko's reign of truth as basically all that glitters for two turns in a row but then the all that glitters is just it just animates itself
2: yeah
0: one cool thing, though, that I've seen, um, I saw Todd do it when he played this deck uh, on stream, and that was uh, you run a couple Mutavaults in the uh, in the mana base, and he uh, would on his upkeep turn on Mutavault, target it with uh, with the uh, Mishigos Reign of Truth, um, and then just kind of go off from there and have like the extra threat. Thought that was kind of cool, just a cool to line of play.
1: Yeah, this is this is a card that I definitely overlooked. My initial take was that all the sagas sucked, and then I saw people point out this one. I'm like, this looks very good in End Soul, but nowhere else. And I think that's still true. Um, and I will say, I think these results are skewed because we are looking at a week one meta. And it's a deck that we also show up and I think back to um, the Angel combo when AFR came out. And it mm-hmm. really felt like, I don't know if this deck is actually good, or if it's just exploiting people trying new stuff and being cute. And Ensoul and this even, most of these Ensoul decks went away from um, Metallic Rebuke and they just went balls to the wall aggro. And I think that is a very good week one strategy. Like, the very best strategy to go into a week one format is to just go as ham as possible. Because people will not be interacting enough. And I think this deck is extremely good at doing that. It's kind of the same reason why Auras is good in an early format. Because even when people were doing inverter stuff, we saw Auras of Auras show up for a while... Because it turns out that some games just end if you cast two ethereal armors on turn two. And just abuse that. Or in case of light pulls, all the glitters and you tutor up the ethereal armor. And you literally like one-shot people on turn four. And if you don't one-shot them, you've now gained 18 life. Probably sets you up for a pretty good game too. Yeah then I'm not going to go over all of them like we usually do because that would take way too much time, but we'd want to take this as an opportunity to talk about some cards we potentially haven't talked about. See the automaton show up in some of the auras, uh, some of the Ensol lists. Be a lot of Ensol, And then, and this actually takes us to a Milbag question. And this is a, um, a card I was very excited about when I see it, and it's by Waddle's. And he's asking, thoughts on Thirst for Knowledge being Pioneer legal now. Now, Thirst for Knowledge is a card that hasn't been standard legal for like 20 years or some stuff. It's... um, It's a pretty good draw spell, if you're playing with a lot of artifacts. And the deck people choose to use it in, in this... Um, in this format and with these decks, is with Grease Fang. And... Grease Fang will be used to primarily bring back Parhelion 2, swing in for 13, and be left with 8 power flying. So you bring it back from the graveyard, crew it, swing, end of turn it bounces back to your hand, but you're left with the angels. And obviously Thirst for Knowledge is basically the perfect card for this deck. Because it, it gets you to the cards you need, it gets you to your combo while discarding a, par- a card, which is a big part of your combo. And then there's also Anchor to Reality to tutor it up, and Hotshot Mechanic as an additional crewer. I don't think this deck is actually any good. <laughs> okay, but
0: well, let's, think about, let's think about this, though. How good does this deck feel? When it, when it works, though. I see
1: Spike Blade in Modern, where you do it with Goblin Engineer on turn two, and that puts it in your oh, graveyard, and then you curve it to Grease Fang, and that's fucking gross when it works.
2: Yeah.
0: I think the nice thing is that the... um that Off card that brings it back, I thought... it I was, I was like, what's a good way to just hate this out? And I had to read the card again, and I was thinking ETB that it does that, but at the beginning of combat, which is a nice little workaround, things like... Hushbringer or stuff like that, but of course you can kill it before it goes to combat. Your your opponent's just like, okay, I I would like to move to combat. It's like I would like that to die, please, Um, kind of thing. So I I think I think you're probably right that this deck is not that good. It feels like a better version of like a GPG deck, Um, you know, like that style. In fact, in, in, it's probably more consistent, but easier to hate. You know?
1: I don't know. Thirst for Knowledge could be a great gateway in getting GPG back. But, that's, but that's GP, true as well. GPG is also a card that has notoriously been bugged on Moto forever. So I don't know if it still is, but I think a lot of people will probably Who think it still knows? is. So. That could genuinely be a reason as to why we're not seeing it, even though Thirst for Knowledge is actually, like you make me think of it, a really good GPG card. Yeah, because even just
0: discarding your creatures too, not even an artifact. Yeah, that's is fine, fine.
1: Right? Um huh. could go in a pretty similar shell to this. Um But I so I think this deck is too frail. Right? You can kill this guy before you go to combat. If you if you Extraction, the Parhelion 2, this deck has like three cards that you have to kill. And then yeah, the deck doesn't do anything. Yeah, the so, round's just
0: a 4-3, so like that's not that scary. Um, yeah, there's
1: like funny things there with like Mech Hanger, so if you extract Grease Fang, they can play the Parhelion and animate it with Mech Hanger and that type of thing. I don't know, I think it's pretty cute, right? I see Tezzeret. Tezzeret's cool that can turn like some of your things into 4-4 four, four creatures. There's, there's alternative ways to beat down, but then what artifacts are you turning into creatures? There's actually Could not that many artifacts in this deck. Would oh. Tezzeret work in GPG? That depends on what you're... If you're playing Gate to the Afterlife, maybe. If you're playing the Refurbished version, I don't know.
0: I do like Gate to the Afterlife a lot going like four of those, two GPG kind of thing.
1: Because I think then you could crack that for like one mana. So you can still spend like part of your turn setting them up and then, oh, one mana, crack it, there you go.
0: Is there, is there any reason you'd want to play like Karn the Great Creator of having GPG in the sideboard? Does that just make your deck too convoluted?
1: I think it makes your deck too convoluted because you need a density of creatures in order to just make the card work. I, I will say GPG
0: is probably my number one favorite deck to always evaluate every time a set comes out and be like, can we do this now? Yeah, because there's Cause, so much
1: weird shit that you need for to make that deck good.
0: Yeah, and like discarding a like Scarab God and just being like, I would like to copy Scarab God and then use the ability of the token and be just keep doing more GPG style shit. It's it just, God, that deck is so cool. Um, though... My the number two deck that I always like to try to just evaluate, though the time I spend evaluating this deck gets less and less and less and less and less, and less every time a new deck comes out, is Hero. Uh, yeah. As the format gets older and bigger, that card gets worse and worse. Yeah, because people worse. will
1: just start putting the multicolored cards in NIF decks rather than in yeah. Hero decks. And then it just makes the Niv decks better, so there's literally no reason to play hero we play niv
0: to light but with hero of precinct one <laughs> for the extra okay that's even worse that, than that's what the niv deck needs
1: punch one one ones <laughs> can't go uh, over the I, top otherwise
0: i love pioneer and i i will always say it's the best best format right now it's the it's the most healthy format and the way that it plays is so nice it's similar to like old modern from like five years ago that kind of thing um with like combat and things like that but it would always it always makes me a little sad that we don't have a format in which hero can work you know like that that super grindy like i'm gonna win by an inch type of deck like we have those but the fact that they do so much more with what you're given and how much you can grind, it's not even comparable to even try hero anymore.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, the the Esper deck, I think this is cool. There's there's cool stuff going on here. But I think it's too frail, and I I think this is is a case of book. Right? Like, people are unprepared. They're gonna get one-tapped by a Parhelion. The moment people are even remotely prepared, this card is shit. um then we see some more on soul a lot of some mono black with the soul ripper card let's go and the okiba reckoner raid so they could make their deck even better by taking that card out um i don't care about a one mana two two that drains for two if it has suspend three am i crazy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey there
0: there is an insole there's a couple of insole lists that are running the patchwork uh automaton
1: card yeah that card uh, that went five mentioned that that card is really cool so um, like, that's
0: kind of the split there's some decks running that some decks not i i'm inclined to want to run it but i'm noticing that both versions that are running it are not running ingenious smith so it, it's a tough Pick, I think.
1: I think that's just a toss-up between speed or value. Yeah. God, I want to run both. I think I think there's a way to. Or at least fewer numbers. Maybe three maybe like two Smith or two of the other way the other way around. That type of thing. Uh then we see um Lotus show up, which has obviously a Basedju in the main, but just one in the main and none in the side. This might be a case of my rental service didn't have more of them? I, I would think so. I think it's it's
0: pretty insane to not have it in the side. Because um, let's look at what they have in the side right now. It's a pretty st- typical I mean, lift. there's
1: wilt, you, which I would yeah, just it, swap.
0: No, you don't need two Ugin. Why do you have two Ugin? <laughs> what the fuck?
1: Also, two felt distortion? Okay, One for some reason... Generally I'm does bit, the trick?
0: I'm... I'm i I'm i I'm a bit more inclined to agree with the double thought distortion. Than definitely the not Ugin. the double
1: Ugin. Like yeah, you play Ugin because you want to play a typical Ugin game, which means his minus X is actually an ultimate because it instantly wins you the game.
0: Yeah. It, it, if you're in a position where you're like, fuck, I need to do an Ugin again, I think you're losing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you lost the game, buddy. <laughs> I just want to know. What type of game you need to be in where one Ugin doesn't do the trick? <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough. <laughs> I need the
0: second one, please. Okay, fun fact. On the video, I got to yell at Seth a little bit <laughs> because we were talking about Lotus Field, right? Because we are talking about the lands. And I was like, okay, for those of you at home, okay? Because Seth, you made this mistake on stream when you played against Lotus the other day. And when they go um, uh, gen- emergent Ultimatum and they choose Peer into the Abyss... Omniscience and poor. You always give them omniscience omniscience and poor. poor. You never give them peer. And I explained the whole reason as to why and that kind of thing. And he's like, "Oh, he's like, yeah, that that makes a little more sense." He's like, "He's like, I don't remember what I did." And I'm like, "You gave them peer and omniscience." Oh, (laughs) you!
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would like infinite mana and half my deck, please.
0: i was just like why why did you do that
1: i i I can see though because you're trying to make these things in your head and you're trying to make these piles of blah 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 and you kind of like end up with this wrong pile and your brain is like (laughs) guess this will do right because (laughs) it feels like there's no way out so your brain just defaults to like dude just pick something you're dead and you just (laughs) present yourself with the worst outcome
0: and he he even responded. He's like, "Oh no!" in like the perfect Seth fashion. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, oh I know. no is correct." <laughs> it's like, and I got to give him my hot take of like, I prefer Lotus Field when it had breach because at least I knew when I was dead. Because <laughs> I don't want to sit there and watch my opponent play with themselves <laughs> the entire time.
1: Um. Then we have the reality chip showing up in Jeskai ascendancy which I think is pretty exciting. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's actually good, because once you've got the ascendancy out, are you just, like, winning? But to be honest, slapping the reality chip on it on turn three or something in, like, a slower matchup I guess could be pretty cool. I think this is pretty bad, but someone was trying this out, and it is a good fit. If I'm thinking of, like, if there is a deck where I'd fit this, this is probably the deck where I'd fit this.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to find it. It might have been in a league and not... What is this? I scroll down. It's a Boros
2: Legendary deck. Huh. Interesting. Okay, moving on.
0: Um, Where is it? I see some uh, other
1: things. I see blue-white humans, Celestia with... Just one Igonjo, not much else has changed. Ooh, one copy of Heron's Grace Champion in the side, that makes me very happy. Um, <laughs> Winoda without Beseju, might also be a case of... Um, oh, but this also, this is like the ultimate, like, I just need, well, runs one layer of the Hydra. Can, can someone in the mailbag, because I don't play Winoda, but I've played against it, Can someone give me kind of like a a counter? How many matches does it take you to animate your lair once? Like, this might be just my gift. I've never seen a Winona. I've just seen Winona players play this as a tap for us. This could just be my experience, but this card has like never done anything in my experience with this deck, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just the decks I play that type of shit never comes up. Um, in some Phoenix, doing Phoenix things. Oh, I like this one. This is a ballsy take. Someone decides to bring main deck Aether Gust to a week one event. Yeah, and then your opponent Fuck plays it. Blue, White, and Soul, and you're like,
0: "Yeah, <laughs> that seems about right."
1: <laughs> guess, uh, <laughs> guess I'm dead. Um, Should have done
0: the main deck mystical speed, I guess, huh? <laughs> God, where is it? there is a Cheerios deck, Alex. Oh no. With uh, with the what's the enchantment? The one that you uh, the the song, or whatever.
1: A song of Creation. Like,
0: yeah, I'm trying to find it because I saw it earlier and I was like, oh, this is cool. How does it win though? <laughs> and then, then we see was... some Jeskai uh,
1: stuff. Some um, someone here playing Fires again. Uh, rogues, more fires, blue white control, boros legendaries. As you pointed out, with uh, resona, mox amber, thalias, more thalias, uh, zergo bell strike. Wow, play set kithium play set zergo bell striker. I'm sure that never went wrong for this person.
0: Nope, never. That's why they're three <laughs> and three, Alex. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, I found it, I found it. It's a play a, set
1: uh, of Sokansan. A play set of Igonjo. I do like it though, because it's a 25 land deck. So these are just spells, right? So I think that's super cool.
0: This was a League uh, 5-0, but just look at this. Look at this fucking list.
1: Song of Creation deck. And then you've got Moonsnare Prototype. Astral Cornucopia. It's... <laughs> It's a card I regularly forget. Is Pioneer Legal? Um, reality Chip is kind of fun in a Cheerios deck. I'm not gonna lie. That How was does this win? This is bad, but it's it's that's a Oracle. Sort of the win's obvious. You draw your entire deck, uh, yeah, and You play that's Oracle. Sort
0: of yeah, but I'm trying to see like, does it? I mean, okay, I guess you Mox just Amber go gives zero. You yeah, nice Mox Amber. Um, is there a way to loop? Mox Amber?
1: There's, uh... No. no? I mean, there's Emery. Yeah, but there's no... No, no this, this literally just plays a Song of Creation and then it plays its full deck and then... And then there's Kinnan in there because... Uh, you've, got, you've got stuff mana. like Mox Amber. And stuff.
0: Yeah. really Drum, Moose Prototype, make double mana too thanks to Kinnan. Um... It's just so... It's the, the one Void Snare, I'm sure, came, came
1: up uh, a lot. Oh, this is, uh, I think, nice on the Sunday agenda. So this is the perfect example of where Sokanzan is a very nice legendary card. For this one back in particular. 31st place. This is not trying to flame this person. Mono Red Aggro by Terminal Justice. Its mana base is four Den of the Bugbear, 16 Mountains, and four Ramenap Ruins. There is zero reason why one of these mountains should not be a sokanzan. I agree, and that's just other than like other. A budget is always a thing, right? I don't know. Maybe this person actually like buy bought it with dicks or whatever, and they can't get onto the Sokansan. I mean, obviously, there's those things, but deck building wise, it's literally free because it's not even mashing with castles or. I don't think there's cards in these decks that care about mountains in particular. No, none of them do. So,
0: God, don't one fucking buy on. this deck on Moto. I'm sorry, like it, Alex, look at this: $180 for fucking table versus three thirty-seven for fucking Moto because Den of the Bugbear is a hundred bucks, Cemetery Gatekeeper is a hundred bucks for a playset, Rolling Vortex is forty bucks for a playset, like. Ugh. Eidolon's a $50 uh, playset still, so you're not saving much on Moto there. Uh, Like, I... Fuck, man.
1: That is what we call a
2: yikes.
0: This is Um, why they need to be like we need a reason to have standard viable on
1: moto again so people actually
0: buy packs of these stupid new sets that you don't or, have a, a rare land it's for
1: move more to arena rather than just being stuck in this weird limbo and then we get alchemy um Ugh. anyway arena flame will be saved for another time um fuck arena like every time but <laughs> every <laughs> it's time is a good it time to flame arena sprinkle it in uh, I, I love how Pleasant Kenobi just has this basically recurring video series, which almost boils down to here's eight mana or eight minutes of why Arena is still shit, and that's the video. Like there's it's it's like, not, just, it's just it's a like checkup.
0: Those, it's like those Twitter accounts that are like uh like daily news on like random celebrities. Like there's Margaret Thatcher, there's Michael Jackson, stuff like that, and they all they do is tweet once a day, say, Yep, they're still dead. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: So um, Saturday, third place, we have an interesting take on the Grease um deck where we now see it running stuff like Faithful Mending, uh, Supreme Verdict, uh, some more interaction, in stuff like Glass Casket, and then it just runs March. And I think this is a cool response to the hyper fast metagame from day one day one quote-unquote from the the saturday and this is the sunday challenge i don't know if i said the day right uh even runs a copy of failing hope and this doesn't run hotshot mechanic either so this is much more like all in on the combo and i'm just gonna burn through my deck and burn through my hand with march as ways of interaction and i'm just going to i'm going to race you i'm moving away from it still runs disruption uh, protocol this doesn't actually run the thing that can tutor up the Barhelion, which surprises me a little bit. I forgot what it's called. Anchor to reality. Yeah, but the it's... four mana sacrifice the thing. Yeah. yeah, so it stopped doing that, so I'm a little bit surprised by that one. I kind of think you'd want that in here. But other than that, this is just basically thinking like we're going to turbo up to 11 mm-hmm. with this deck, which I think is a good way to go in this meta game. So, like, again, we're trying to race each other. We're not interacting. Um, this person's still capitalizing on, like, yeah, one person did well in day one, but people are going to prepare themselves for blue, white, and soul. So I'm going to go yeah. the entire other way, which I think is good.
0: I think the deck has enough card draw where I think it's fine. Um, and then here's, it's just, here's another reason to show here's the flexibility of marching by the Ruinly Light, being like, hey, like I have an extra... You know, um, Faithful Mending in my hand that I don't really need right now, pitch it. Or I have like two copies of Parhelion in my hand that I don't really need. um, Or like Glass Casket, Portable Hole aren't relevant to this matchup. Or I have uh, a fucking Fang out already. So this one in my hand, I can pitch that. Like, the, just look at the flexibility of March just on full display in just this pile of a deck. And this isn't even the best deck it can be in with the blue light, right? Like,
1: blue control. So, like, the March is insane. Also, uh, I think an interesting thing to point out in just deck building with Anchor to Reality, Anchor to Reality only grabs you half your combo. so is isn't even that good. If you're relying on drawing into one, oh, but I can tutor the other. How many times do you think you're actually going to draw a Parhelion and then draw Anchor to reality?
2: Yeah. And also, you're like, I wish this
1: card just... I think so. But so that, that doesn't... doesn't really help you well, at all. I mean, Parhelion is still a crew four. So if Parhelion's yeah, yeah, on the battlefield, you, don't you get just the haste play Grease aspect Fang. Of it. And... Yeah, that's true.
0: Because the, the haste is only when it comes back from the, the graveyard to the battlefield from Fang. Yeah, so... that's true. So tutoring the- it just you just sit there and you're like i hope i get to do things next turn which goes into the problem we always save for cards with evaluation a, a great card for five or six mana that sticks in the battlefield you're like this is such a good card if it lives <laughs> yeah
1: if it lives <laughs> or, and that's a big or if, if
0: i live <laughs> uh, oh and there's a uh, then there's a uh, angels book combo we were talking about that earlier hey alex it's back <laughs> Speaking of dirtily metagames uh, meta games trying to be too cute. This one's just like, I remember this. I remember doing this a few months ago. Let's just do it again. Don't uh, Is there are there any new cards here? No. I don't think so. Good for them. Hmm. Though, would you think that march would be good here? Like out of the side maybe? Yeah, I could see that. Like you, you either
1: draw too much top end angels. early or you draw like your like low end dirtily stuff you don't really need. Like righteous Valkyrie is not a very good card later on in the game. Mm-hmm. Or you're only thinking like, well, I want to play like one early, but then or I extra want to start. Book of uh, it, uh, did I say righteous Valkyrie? I mean, youthful Valkyrie. Yeah, no, two yeah, yeah, I, I, know, I know what you meant. Yeah, I was so at you're like, Valkyrie. I want to play that one on turn two. But then afterwards, probably not going to find the time to play another one. I mean, I even my Veteran
0: fans. as well. It's not very good late game. Speaker of Heavens is good if you can let it live a turn if you have all the life. But if you have all the life, you probably have a board established by now. So drawing Speaker of Heavens isn't good late game either.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's important to know when we talk about that. Obviously, when it is actually late game, you just spend the mana, right? Because you've yeah. got it. But here we're thinking, like sequencing wise, you look at your hand, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm just not gonna find the time to play this Luminarch Veteran until like turn six, when it doesn't even matter anymore." So I'm or gonna you pitch, have a pitch it Splendin now.
0: Angel down, and you want to be able to have the extra mana to be able to like pay for a an Angel, like to like pump it to like make yeah, that Rangers would still work. Too. Board. Or maybe you want to do like the book combo of like I want the mana to. Like, maybe maybe it's a way to bait your opponent. Like, you have March, and you have Book out and you have Mutavolt, and you're like, okay, I kind of want to do the Book combo. Or maybe you have Mutavolt in hand, and you before you play the Mutavolt in hand, you're like, okay, let's pitch one of these cards I don't really need right now. Try to remove a thing for them. Force my opponent to respond to this March, so that way it opens up to me, go mutivolt and then Book, have the extra mana, just lock them out. God, I love this game. The sequencing of this fucking game is so amazing. I'm not even playing right now, and I'm just like, yay, yeah, yeah. much fun.
1: I'm not even playing right now, but I want to be playing right now. Oh yeah. Um we see. Also see Ag- uh, vampire show up with two blood baron in the sideboard, which they might come to regret at one point. Um again, that does obviously depend on how much what you run the blood baron for. Because blood mm-hmm. baron is also well i mean you run a lot of lava coils so it's not even that good against Boral's burn so i'm just thinking like man the, the decks where i bring in blood baron against how often are they uh, are they i gonjo decks and if the answer is often i probably don't want to be running blood baron anymore but we also see this card that show up as a lot of like one-offs right people are sprinkling them in their decks for free and i think mm-hmm. they're gonna try and and up the numbers, right? We're, we're initially just going to have, like, this scramble to find the good deck. And then we're going to have the scramble for the right numbers. And I do think a lot of these Legendary Lands are going to be higher numbers than we see them now. Because we actually see them not show up in a lot of decks. And I think they are going to show
2: up in more decks. be shocked if they didn't. Ooh, then we see dredgeless dredge,
1: but I don't oh, think this like actually no runs prize a amalgam. single new card. There's no
0: prize amalgam in that one.
1: and it doesn't even run the black land, which literally mills you and then grabs you a stitcher supplier. I'm a
2: little yeah, surprised a little by
1: that. How how does this deck win? It doesn't even run prize amalgam, as you said.
2: Like what the hell? Well oh, went three and three, so it wins games. But um and I think that about wraps
1: it up for what we find. We have our top ten and then kind of what we see show up in the challenge. Uh Wandering Emperor shows up in a um Azorius Superfriends deck at twenty which is pretty cool. Uh then we see another take on Grease Fang kind of playing like this sort of middle ground game where it's also got like this weird Seeker's Chariot in it, but then it's got the anchor to reality and it's got hotshot mechanic, but fewer numbers. It's got March, but fewer numbers and fewer white cards. So also like playing into March a little bit less. And that wraps it up. That's about the first initial look we've had now paired with our top 10 um i think but actually probably a good idea to put this at the end because this is for the the quote-unquote real listeners this was obviously a different take on how we did our top 10 where instead of having the top 10 as we traditionally did it we kind of have like a link to the goldfish video i can imagine people don't actually watch the uh the goldfish video Or they want a little bit more in-depth, clearly, like how we talked about these cards already. We had like way more discussion before the podcast than we usually do to like make this format work. But we do really want to sort of hear how you guys want to hear it. And think like, well, I don't really watch the goldfish video, so I would actually still like the full length thing. Or maybe you do watch the goldfish video... But you still want the full length thing because you want more depth than the goldfish videos, which are more short term. Um, so, did you like this format? What would you want to see different? Do you have your other suggestions? You can drop them to us on Twitter. You can drop them in the mailbag. And we can kind of see how we make this format work. Um, also, this top eight is top 10 is very late. And now that we kind of know how we're going to potentially do these like leading up to spoiler season, we can probably also push it out earlier. So that would mm-hmm. also like impact how we do this. So we're going to try and do some thinking behind the scenes, how we're going to figure this out. But if you have any feedback, suggestions, ideas, et cetera, please let us know because we really appreciate the uh, the input because at the end of the day, we want to make what you want to hear. So
0: yeah. And we, we currently have plans. Um, I, I guess it's, not inappropriate to say this um talking with Seth the plan right now is we would like to continue doing this for every new set for Pioneer um and continue appearing on their top 10 videos and actually you know as Seth gets more involved in Pioneer and we're kind of helping him do that that kind of thing so maybe it's a nice little uh way to Combine both those and have this type of format, which we break down the top 10 video for the goldfish thing and then kind of talk about our combined top 10s. But yeah, same thing. If you have any other feedback or suggestions of like ways you would like to see it done, if you want to just have us do a complete separate, per usual top 10, mine versus Alex, that kind of thing, and then the goldfish be completely separate or have this middle ground kind of combination also i think uh,
1: important to know because we're really talking about like oh all the goldfish stuff is set whatever as if we're part of goldfish that's obviously not the case this was yes. a first run if this is successful we would like to do stuff like this in the future but yes. maybe by the next top 10 we're just back to our old format because it didn't work out for whatever reason like nothing's set in stone yet
2: yep but yeah
0: um alex I guess one thing I want to ask you is uh, how do you feel about Neon Dynasty so far with Pioneer? I was
1: about to ask you the same thing. I think Neon Dynasty is effectively the golden standard for a Pioneer set. Yes. I think we said this before with, I think it was Midnight Hunt, where we talked about, like, is this what we want for a Pioneer set? And now I'm confident in saying no, because Neon Dynasty is what I want for every Pioneer set. Um... Aside from the legendary land cycle, which would be very obnoxious to get every set, right? To get something please. like this, ubiquitous, right?
0: Yeah, please, please pump the brakes, wizards, on your really on cards that land go cycles. everywhere. But
1: yeah, I mean, I do get this. It was a homage, blah blah blah, to like mm. the original cycle that was also so like quote unquote free. But those cards were definitely way less good. But except with Ragavan, they're really good with Ragavan. But what card isn't? But other than that, it revived an archetype. Uh, It it revitalized an archetype in Ors of Auras. It basically brought an archetype into play that really never came together in vehicles. And then a whole bunch of decks just picked up stuff here, there, and everywhere. Which I think is super cool for a set. I haven't seen... There's no, like... Euro card that is like pushing a lot of decks out. I don't I think this is really the type of set that just adds. It's just a set that makes Pioneer better, more diverse, mm-hmm. more fun, more jank, more like we can do like the uh the Esper reanimate Barhelian stuff. Like we, we can do all type of cool things, and it's just just an awesome set, man. This is just one of the best sets. Initially, this is looking like one of my favorite sets of all time.
0: Yeah, which is actually kind of shocking considering like I have zero emotional ties to Japanese culture or anything like that. I mean, I'm appreciative of it. I think it's cool. But like and, and the Kamigawa in general, the lore behind it, no nostalgia, heartstring pull thing for me to have any kind of bias towards it. So it's come a, from a completely, I guess, objective point of view is as close to objective as you can get in uh, this kind of sense. Uh, yeah, it feels like an amazing set. And it's I really will cool.
1: say, when I mentioned Golden Standard for Pioneer, I don't think that's gameplay. Because story-wise, or like mechanic, even like sort of like how we handled this set, I'm getting, it's like they had the Kaldheim problem, but they solved it the other way around. So Kaldheim had a hundred themes to discuss, so they discussed all hundred and we got like three cards for each theme. With Kamigawa, they had a hundred themes to discuss, and they picked ten, gave us sufficient cards for ten, and then just ignored the other ninety.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like that make like and if you if you would have taken the Caldheim approach to Kamigawa, vehicles wouldn't have ended up being a deck, because it would have gotten three cards. Right, so I appreciate that, but it is, and this also when we talked about the story, I think last recording I talked about the story where it felt super rushed. This set like feels really rushed too, where like characters show up, like legendary creatures show up on one card, and like do they even show up on other cards, or are they just like here to there's that Mardu guy that you get like attack triggers twice. I feel like that guy is just there. Like, yeah. who is he? Right? What does he have to do? We get extra attack triggers, but a lot of stuff in this set triggers at the beginning of combat, which has no synergy with extra attack triggers. So, mm-hmm. it feels very random. And that's where I get the call time thing of, like, man, you clearly show that you can like do, pull this off. Just give us more. Mm-hmm. And I understand. I understand completely why they did this, though, because the first Kamigawa was a flop. So they were like, if we can't, we can't pull a Lorwyn, and plan to spend a whole year on a plane, and then that plane turns out to not be popular because, contrary to popular belief, Lorwyn wasn't very popular at the time, and then you're like stuck for a year. So they were probably like, what if we mess up again? Come be here for three sets that's going to be quote-unquote a disaster which they can totally handle financially but hey you know don't want to run into that type of thing so that bugs me so much missed potential it makes me feel like man i already want to go back to kamigawa we haven't even we haven't even arrived yet right release is end of this week we haven't even arrived and i already want to go back because i could see see so much cool shit
0: oh you know i just realized alex there is no fucking shot that we don't get more vehicles in New Capena.
1: Of course, we're gonna get cars, actual cars. Another meme with oh that God. new commander card that turns a creature into a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And the first tweet I saw was like, "I swear to God, don't make me turn your your commander into a car." <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, I, I think vehicles is a chance to get stronger. Um. Oh, for sure! Like this is exciting for Pioneer, and and it makes me happy because like, if we evaluate the last few sets, right? Look at Val. You look at Midnight Hunt, um, Afr. There are sprinkles of impact cards. You had portable hole and Genius Smith and Blackstaff Waterdeep powering up in Seoul originally for like uh, for Afr and then 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 like the the, the manlands right then Bugbear and all that good stuff. Um, then in Midnight Hunt you had the Werewolf stuff kind of just go into uh, Winota. You had uh, consider. Um, you had a play with fire in Red. and they felt just like yeah. I guess is the only way I could really like.
2: kind of of uninspired my
0: feelings yeah like yeah yeah i'm gonna put this card in the deck but they but this that this is the difference these are cards that you look at and you're like these are just upgrades of already existing cards consider over opt or an addition to opt uh play with fire over wild slash or shock that kind of thing um and then with val you had like the little bit of like you had edgar and like Sorin, the bump of vampires and Sorin just you know helped a bunch of like mid mid-range strategies um like uh and even like Demir Control and like mid Midrange, that kind of thing, and then Blood, okay? But now, looking at the challenges in the first week of Neon, it just feels like almost a different format, in a way, with all of these new cards and just complete redesigns of either completely new decks or extreme alterations of existing decks like the sacrifice deck running karn the great creator all of a sudden to make more use of like um the uh the anvil and like other like artifacts effects injuries things like that like it feels so fresh and new and different and it doesn't feel like there's your upgrade card have fun it just feels like there's more to offer and i think that's where i i, I agree with you that this is this 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 the expectation that we should have for every set for pioneer now where it's not format altering to the sense of like turn upside on its head and just kind of fucked over with like Uro level powerful cards, but shaken up enough to where the initial launch is going to give us this wave of new decks, new cards, new ideas and new brewing potential. But I guarantee you we'll see it kind of come back down to earth and kind of fine tune itself again and repeat the process rather than just be like, well, Phoenix just got better, Winona just got better, this deck just got better, because strict upgrades.
1: It's like a Modern Horizon set if you cut off, like, the top 10, 15 ridiculous cards. Yeah. And it's like, there's there's a lot of cool stuff, there's a lot of stuff to work with here, and we might not be done brewing by the time the next set comes out.
0: Which is both an amazing and awful thing.
1: Yeah, but meanwhile... Oh, yeah, I mean playing control was already harsh in Pioneer from time to time (laughs) because there's so much stuff going on and now I'm going to bump into so much random stuff like quick side note at that point we can wrap up Uh, I'm currently the only undefeated player in our league and I'm playing Grixis and I'm happy with my build and it's all going well I haven't changed the build in all five weeks because it's just been working and but by the time the playoff cutoff is we're gonna be in Neon Dynasty, and then we're gonna be playing with those cards. So I have this like well-tuned, like cool list that's like really cruising through the meta that we're currently playing in. And then we're just gonna flip the table because we're gonna get a whole new format with Neon Dynasty cards. And I'm gonna be like, I don't know what my fucking removal package should look right now uh, should look like right now. Uh, and I I'm have, gonna pick I incorrectly. I already know. <laughs> All you do is just bring K
0: command back into your deck and be like, okay. Problem solved.
1: You yeah, do the it. do the classic, uh pull the classic like uh, take a creature out of the deck and then put a K command in and you're like, this is a creature. hmm If it has to be.
2: I yeah, I, I think I think it's good. This is good for the format. Yeah, I'm pretty happy.
0: Though it does give me a sense of um uneasiness in the most positive sense of the word i suppose which is an oxymoron but whatever um for upcoming sets like i'm excited about the potential of like just these incredible shakeups ups and, and awesome but, things like, but you're like you're worried I'm that also...
1: they're not gonna be this good because it's almost impossible for every set to be this good
0: Yeah, or it's just this good every single time and I'm just like fucking whiplash trying to figure out what the fuck I do with my decks. Because you have to worry about fine-tuning a single deck.
1: I have to worry about fine-tuning 12 decks. Well, I I do have more decks, but I will say in order to have a break, all my other decks are pretty straightforward. I literally have a control deck and like five aggro decks. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, that so you have everything you have the whole front page of goldfish as it should be and i'm just it's like only for you i'm just like if i don't feel like playing control what flavor of aggro do i feel like today and that's just my deck choice pro- uh, process so i am also building my collection right now I'm, I'm but i'm being a little bit more mindful of my spending because magic is an expensive hobby a
0: very expensive hobby I, I i bit the bullet and bought all the lands like that like uh, a couple years ago and now i'm just kind of like now we'll sprinkle here and there not not just fucking uh i don't want to buy I, a confluence food. man i bought the playset when i was playing Kethus because <laughs> the deck ran four of them and i was like whatever just fucking do it i right, we'll don't give a shit God, this was a $500 deck Alex it was $500 said that deck in paper and I'm sitting there with all the cards going like what do I do with all the
1: mana confluence and mox ambers and
0: uh... <laughs> <laughs> every and three, time someone three
2: fairies
1: my... and like oh no yeah
0: every time someone goes through my binder like I'm interested in the Amber because commander players want the moxambers and I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> those are the only ones that are off limits mine
1: in case they ever right. unban kathis i need to be good to go i need to be ready
2: <laughs> right, you just so, have
1: like that box right in case of in case of Cather's unban break glass and it's yeah. just the deck already made
0: <laughs> oh i will go on the most amazing rant and tirade on, on, on an episode for us if kathis gets unban of just pure joy and screeching
2: oh
1: i'm just going to we're going to pretend to do the recording but i'm just going to mute my mic and i'm just going to do something else occasionally not and you will just sit there for three hours and you will not notice
0: <laughs> look at all the ways we can build cat this now and then we go into and I'm like cat this is bad no <laughs> all right well thank you for listening to us ramble um we still made this a two and a half hour fucking episode, even though we kind of condensed the top 10 a little bit. Of course uh, we do. Cause you know, you know, in, in perfect pioneer perspective fashion, we have no sense of time whatsoever. It's much like my students at school when they're like, Hey, what time is it? When do we go out for recess? Or like, when, we, when is lunch? And I'm like, it doesn't matter if I tell you because you're going to ask me again in five minutes. Or like the kid that gets in trouble. Hey, you have to be on the fence for two minutes or five minutes for recess. You lose a bit of time. And all of a sudden, he walks across the entire length of the field to me. He's like, can I get off the fence? And I'm like, it's been 30 seconds. (laughs) No. When, When can I get off? When I tell you. But how many minutes? Again, you have no sense of time. I cannot tell you. It doesn't matter. Count to 500, please. They're like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> stop that. Stop counting immediately. You're banned from counting.
1: This is a no counting zone. That guy oh, yeah, from Sesame so Street just gets depressed.
0: Oh, <laughs> instead of going one, uh, 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 he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much for listening to us. Uh we appreciate you. You guys are the best. Uh hopefully you'll listen to us again next week. Reminders of the door, we are the official podcast of the Playboy Discord server. We got merch ink gaming. We got articles up in play playing pioneer.com. Uh we uh we love you. You're the best. Um, and um is there anything else I'm missing? Oh, yeah, socials at at Disciple of Bolas. Twitter, that kind of good stuff. And uh, be sure, if you haven't already, check out the top 10 uh, goldfish uh, video for Pioneer. And make sure you share it to everyone. Put it on your Twitter. Put it on your Facebook. Put it on Reddit. Tell Brad sure Hanson this,
1: Even though you don't see well, his face on camera, I think, in the video.
0: Yeah, there's, it's just audio. Because uh, I didn't have a green screen. And it was just easier that way. Um, but my voice is amazing. It's silky and buttery, I know. It's so it's so Perfect. But just share the fucking video as much as you can. Make sure it's watched a lot. Show Goldfish that you want Pioneer content. Show everyone the Magic Me that you want Pioneer content. Make sure that people know that how great this format is, how amazing Neon Dynasty is for the format. And help grow this game that we love so much in this format that we love so much. And with that, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.